have. I got a story for you. He may soon be seen in the streets, wearing protective gear created by his mind and his own 3D printer. All because he feels too many legislative decisions are made by the disconnected. Those who sit in City Hall need to know what's happening in the alleys and streets. No, no, dear listener. He is not a wannabe Bruce Wayne. He wants you to know exactly who he is and why he is there to serve and protect. Besides, if you didn't know his identity, how could you vote for him in 2026? But first, a word from today's sponsor, Andre Psyche. AndrePsyche.com is gone, but Andre Psyche on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is alive and thriving. You see, dear listeners, Andre has adopted a minimalistic lifestyle for materialistic things like mattresses, pillows, websites, his hair. However, Andre's creative libido, fully stimulated and viewable. You see, Andre is a freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up. It's Andre Psyche the next time you're looking to friend or follow someone outside of your social circle. We're also brought to you by Dewey Crush, the taste of summer. Summer's most sought out and coveted East Coast drink, the Crush, is now available in a ready-to-drink canned cocktail. It's available in three thirst-quenching flavors, the original orange, the refreshing grapefruit, and an iconic watermelon. Dewey Crush contains smooth premium vodka, sweet citrus triple sec, fresh fruit juice, and a splash of lemon-lime soda, making it the perfect partner to any summer event. So whether you're going to a barbecue, headed to the beach, or just hanging with friends, crush it with the new Dewey Crush. Now available in Dewey Beach and all over Delaware. For more information, just visit DeweyCrush.com. We here at the Getting to Know You Pod need a little bit of your help. Our sound recording equipment is in dire need of upgrading. Actually, it's in need of purchasing because we never fucking got any. Support this cause by going to our Patreon and subscribing for as little as $2 a month. Your support is essential to improving the quality of this podcast and is also much appreciated. Two bucks a little too much. Well, here are three free ways to help. Push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You Pod on. Friend and follow the pod on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Go to Apple. Write a review. Those are going to cost you nothing but your time. Finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. If you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. The podcast is downloaded coast to coast across the continental USA and Alaska and Hawaii, of course. Ooh, did I mention internationally as well? So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your good old whatever, just message us. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely. And doggone it. My cup of 
on today's show. We are getting to know Mike. And Mike, I just found out, has one of the most original, unique spellings of Michael in the entire universe. Mike, thank you for coming on to the Getting to Know You pod, letting people get to know you, man. I really appreciate it. Right. Thank you for having me on. And we were kind of just, um, I don't know, sound checking, shooting the shit a little bit earlier. And you had, uh, I called it a humble brag, had said, you know, I've been on just a couple podcasts, which is weird because most of the random people I uh, message, they've, they've never been on for them. And they are like super, super duper nervous. And I'm curious, what kind of podcast were you on? What, uh, what drew you to um, the podcast life? So it's, it's more or less people I knew through like friends and stuff like that. And it's, you know, it just came on and it wasn't really a whole episode. It was more or less just talk about something real fast. And then that was about it. Um, I have been, I, in a related, but not entirely same way. I think I have been a call in person on national radio a few times. Oh, like regular spot or they just recognize your number. Oh uh, no! Uh, I I just got lucky enough that I I was uh, I called in same show a few times and was able to get my point across to a national audience. So I thought that was kind of interesting. No shit! What was the show, man? What was the point? I, it was on point from NPR. Um, uh, it was a few times. Um, the uh, terrible woman who tried to get a job in the Biden White House is like an advisor. Um, Crap, I'm trying to remember her name. Um, Neera Tandit, that was who it was. She mocked me on, uh, on national radio because I had a different point of view that was correct, and she is a very spiteful person. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was her mocking? I know you have to remember it. It scarred you. Oh, okay, so so uh, <laughs> a, 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 quick, a quick thing. Was, uh, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a show about independence, uh, so this was at the very beginning of the twenty. Uh, so this is back in early twenty nineteen, the beginning of the presidential cycles, as well before COVID or anything like that. And I made a point to say that you know, in regards to independent voters, which is what I am, I said that the uh, there was a lot of challenges toward independence and third party candidates, but also that in the primary process, the media and the party uh, party heads sort of manipulate things. And so a lot of candidates don't ever get their due time. And one of the, the, one of the things I had mentioned was, you, know, you look at the, how the Republicans treated Ron Paul in 2008, 2012, and then also how, they, how the Democrats are treating Tulsi Gabbard in that cycle. Oh. And immediately, Mir, Mir Tandon laughed it off and then explained why Tulsi was getting the media smears. And it's like, no, which, which was fake. What? What what were the media smears, or was it media smears, or just lack of media attention? I don't because I don't remember her getting really smeared. I just remember her not polling well, and then you know they do the whole debate thing where you just keep going further and further from the center, and it's like when you're on the outskirts, you're kind of fucked, or you're on the second debate because the top whatever ten were on the first one. So she was one of the first people to announce, and like given. Her well, here's the funny thing. She was like the most cross-sectional person in this party that supposedly is all about inclusivity and stuff yeah. like that. And, and somehow, like her entire candidacy got thrown under the bus because she wasn't for the wars. She wasn't for the partisan platform. She was against Hillary Clinton. But um, aside, you know, with all that and said, it, it was kind of more or less. 
they didn't, they wanted someone like her, but not her. Mm. And so, you know, it's like, if that's the case, then fine. But then they would, uh, they would either make up lies about her or they would paint her like one misstep as the worst thing ever. Meanwhile, like, you know, you, you see who became the nominee and now is the president. He's like, you look at him and you sit there and wonder, wait a second, you're, you're covering up all the, all the missteps he's made. Yeah. <laughs> but the smallest thing that someone else does is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. So full disclosure, Biden's my boy. I've been to his house several times. Um, Which house? The, 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 the White House? <laughs> the beach house. The beach house. No. And when I say been there several times, um, I rode my bike by it and got stopped by Secret Service. Because um, I'm from Delaware. I'm from Lower Delaware. So... It's kind of a cool thing. He was actually just in Rehoboth, which is 10 miles from me, um, I think for his wife's birthday a couple Fridays ago. Um, but yeah, he, I, it blew our mind in Delaware. Like even all the, all the Delawareans we knew the entire time were like, he has no fucking chance, man. The dude can't speak. He it like yeah. I, I understand he has a speech impediment and they were saying sometimes when he, he collects his thoughts, it's so that he doesn't stutter. And I don't know how much of that's true versus the cognitive issues, but he's not a, a discussion quick. You don't look at him as a high end. You look at him as a grandfather who tries to keep you in check, but if it came to it, he really wouldn't be able to. Well, and, and here's my biggest issue with him is that this isn't against him personally, but it is the notion of, okay, go back in time and watch him versing Paul Ryan in 2012. That's an entirely different person mm. with the same skin. It's like it's yeah. it's it, it's an entirely different politician than the person who's the president now. And you know, it's it's eight and a half years ago. Yeah, yeah, he was goofy in some regards, but it's no, there was a pretty active person there. Now it's just an empty shell on the end. It really it's, it's weird to look at, man. It it is it's odd to look at. Um it doesn't I, – I don't know. I don't know if I'm too – if like we've become too biased as a as a nation because we're so visual with photos, social media, TV appearances where like just the presence, your 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 stature matters. And yeah. it, I mean to me it really does. Like you, you looked at um, – there was a picture when he was going – what was it? The G7 summit. It was like him and Putin <laughs> looked like they were like – it was like a UFC – fighting card and they were staring at each other and you could just tell he was so photoshopped up when in real life you see them standing there even watching him have a seat you worry that he's like gonna break his hip it's mm -hmm. um it's not a good visual um I, I can't imagine him running for a second term and going see, eight and years. That, there's some there's some people that say he is and i'm like thinking you know you, you gotta realize how old people, so uh, this is something I like to focus on, not to get too much into just st strictly politics here, but it's um, something I uh, figured out, I read up a lot on Founding Fathers and everything, uh, and more recently, uh, like deeply into all this stuff. I found out that it was a magic age for the presidency, and that was 57 to 66. Oh, wow. That, the first six presidents were within that range, um, and four of them were elected at 57. Uh, yeah, but it, you're talking about the initial first four presidents? No, no, no. Uh, within the first six, 
the four of them were elected. Okay, yeah, Senate. but I guess what I'm yeah. trying to say is if we're looking at 17, 1800s, like 56, wouldn't that relatively be at least 65-ish now, maybe oh, even 70? Well, I mean, technically speaking, uh, it, it all depends on how you take care of yourself, longevity, age, that sort of thing. But you've got to remember something that's really interesting. Of all the presidents, John Adams is still the sixth longest uh, living on that list. The only people that beat him are... Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so the only people that um, beat him are like the most recent oldest presidents, like Reagan, uh, Bush Sr., Ford, and Carter. He so when John Adams died, he had been the uh, oldest. Uh, sorry, he had been the president who lived the longest up until Ronald Reagan surpassed him. Okay, and it took like 175 years to surpass that age. But um, aside from that, it was just that notion though of he he got elected at 61, and you know, no matter what age you're at. I think that that, you know, that mid fifties to mid sixties kind of time frame is a person who's lived a pretty well accomplished life while at the same time, as long as they're taking care of themselves, they're still a functional human being. Yeah. Yeah. How old was Obama? Wasn't he 50 or so was he 48? And I'm about to get into that real, real fast. Okay. So I was born in 1991. Um, the following year, Bill Clinton was elected, and he's one of the youngest presidents ever. Um, I think he was like the third youngest after Teddy Roosevelt and JFK. So he's born in the in the summer of 1946. The following president was also born in the summer of 1946, and his oh. challenger was born in the summer of 1946. So you got these baby boomers that are vying for the throne, essentially. So George W. Bush takes over, and he's in there for eight years. The next person is a younger person. That's Barack Obama. He's also relatively young. I think he's the fourth or fifth youngest president. And he is uh, 47, I believe, Okay. when he takes office, which, which is a good, respectable age. We then replace him with the oldest president, being Donald Trump. And then in this really odd double whammy sort of format, we end up going even older to replace Trump at the most critical time frame right now, because this is the point of time where you need young blood to talk about the issues that are going to be dealt with over the next 5, 10, 20 years. And those are the issues of AI, the issues with the climate, The uh, my personal pet peeve is CRISPR technology. CRISPR technology? Uh, uh, genetic engineering. Oh, okay. That's um, what I thought. And... It, like you, you can kind of see that already coming through with um, the mRNA uh, vaccine development and stuff. But it, like this is, I kid you not, the next 20, 25 years, this is probably going to be one of, if not the most important issue for the human race going forward. Because this is going to be the determination of whether or not we play God. And, and lo and behold, you have some people, like there's a congressman in Texas who uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess, uh, Ask the Bureau of Land Management if they can uh, move the moon to affect the climate. I mean, you want to throw that out there. I, I thought that happened on The Simpsons. 
No, that that was actually real. No, 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 no. I'm not saying he wasn't real, but I thought The Simpsons played out that scenario on some episode where like the moon gets moved in order to help some kind of ocean wave or something. I might be wrong, but The Simpsons have predicted so much. I was just like, they had to. There's been so many episodes of The Simpsons that wouldn't surprise me. Even I, even me as a big fan of theirs, I still haven't seen all the episodes. Right. so that that worries you. Like you take that as like like you're seeing Texas congressman as like that was his solution. Strap a couple rockets, anchor into the moon, get Elon on it, and we just move that thing about 25 miles well, <laughs> due south. It, 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 it's it's not just that. It's a combination of many other things. It's the fact that um, before the switch up happened, you know, like, because I, I don't really don't know much about Schumer, but I mean, it's like when Trump was in office, the people who headed Congress, literally, it was just two people that ran Congress, and that was Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, both of whom are even older than Biden is. And it's, you know, you you take a look at all these people, and you and you sit there and you wonder, there's next to no representation of young people in any regard in the halls of government or in the halls of administrative abilities. And the only people who I can think of of noteworthiness are Pete Buttigieg, who is somehow is the ma- uh, sorry, somehow he is the uh, secretary of transportation, transportation, despite just being a mid city um, mayor. So he has like no, qualification or um, disciplined practice in anything regarding to transportation. And the other person of noteworthiness within government is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I have my own personal grievances with, but it's like, I, I don't think that that's a great representation of what's in, what's basically the largest generation in the country. Cause she's so socialist with it. It's not so much her personal beliefs. It's rather that she has these personal beliefs and then kind of acts like a ditz. You think she acts like a ditz? That's interesting. In the sense of, like, I'm not saying sitting there and saying she's stupid for her beliefs. I'm saying yeah. in the sense of she'll say really obnoxious things. Huh. Like, like calling things the chambers of government and, like, uh, misidentifying, like, how, how the House and Senate as... Uh, the branches of government rather than the chambers of Congress or something like that. It could be just a nitpick on that sort of format, but then you know, if you want to paint yourself as some type of smart revolutionary uh, political leader, it doesn't help when you have these, have these easily uh, identifiable missteps. Gotcha. So here's what I'm thinking, which, and I don't know, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I get interested. I had no idea you were born in 91. So I'm born in 81. And I'm closer to needing the government to take care of me than you are. You got a lot more earning potential in your life than I have for me, right? Like I'm, I'm knocking on the door. I'm 40 this summer. I'm, I'm hoping Social Security gets dropped to 45 and we're all on socialist and I'm just chilling. But I've spoken to a lot of people in their 20s and 30s and this shit like really, really matters to them, man. It never, it did not matter to me. I'm kind of into politics at 40, but it... I don't take it too, too seriously. I'm not really well read on it. In my 20s and 30s, I couldn't fucking speak about it. I, I, I probably couldn't name, aside from the president, the 
transportation director or the head of Homeland Security or any of that stuff, the White House press secretary, wouldn't be able to name them. And I'm curious why, why you have this passion. Uh, so I guess it really all starts with my great grandfather. Um, so weird, I, I grew up in a really weird situation. I did not have a grandfather. Um, my mom's dad, she didn't even know him and it's like complicated family sort of situation. So he died when she was a teenager. I think, uh, she didn't even know him. Um, I, we only have a couple photos of him when he was younger. Um, uh, and that's actually where I get a lot of my genetics though from him because he was, um, at least 50% Native American. So I'm at least an eighth, Okay. but it, it like, I have some identifiable futures. Um, but aside from that, though, uh, my dad's dad passed away when I was about two and a half. So obviously I didn't know. Him. But the weird part was I still had his dad around. And his dad didn't die until I was 21. Okay. Let's so take a guess at how old he was. Um, how old is Biden? 79. 79. 103. Holy shit. So he's going to. I got to know him. No, I, I was going to say, did he run on like a vice presidential ticket? No, 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 I'm no, just no, kidding. I'm just kidding, dude. I'm just kidding. Because we were talking about the age thing. I was just being a dumbass. <laughs> no, no. Biden was around for the Civil War. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I remember he ran against Biden the first time he tried to be president. <laughs> it was your great-grandfather, Lincoln, and Biden. No, no. And they were vying for the three seats. Sorry, no disrespect so, to your family. No, 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 not at all. No, um, but my so my great grandfather had lived a long life, and during that time frame, he actually was the mayor and police chief of a small town for over a decade. Oh, okay. And so, growing up in my you know, let's say like preteen and teenage years, I would talk with him a lot, and he was kind of like my mentor and all that. Um. And, you know, he had met with a lot of people. He was an acquaintance to Mitt Romney's father, George Romney, who was the governor of Michigan in the 60s. Um, he uh, had met Nixon once. Uh, he had actually met a lot of people, including when he was a kid. Um, there was a guy that came to his piano recital, and uh, the guy in the front row ended up being Henry Ford. No shit. Yeah. Well, like my great grandfather grew up in Detroit. Okay, so I was wondering, like, what is it about him that is that just what happens when you're mayor of a small town in the Midwest? You just kind of know other people in the Midwest, or was there something electric about your great grandfather? He was a very interesting sort of guy. Actually, you know, I actually have a picture of him uh, if you want to see him. <laughs> Actually, a, a very neat picture. It's one of the only, uh, probably one of the other people that has one of these, but it's a four-generation picture. Okay. This is when I was born. I don't know if you can see very well, but he is the, uh, he is this guy here, and... And you're saying he's 50% Native American? No, 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 no. This was, that uh, was the this other was grandfather. That. Okay, because I was going to say, yeah. he almost looks pretty, not mobster Italian, but mobster Italian. Like, strong see, jawline. He actually worked for the mob at one point in time, yeah, <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs> now we know how he but, got elected. No wonder he was but, police you know, chief. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, he he's a uh, he was definitely a kind of he was an energetic, larger than life kind of guy, and you can it, see him smile. He's uh he's broad shoulders. Yeah. He, he you know he's tall. He's like like you know my dad's not short short. He's five ten, but he he just towers over my dad and. Um, I think he's taller than me in that photo, and I'm six two. Um, I'm he, the tallest person in my family now. He looked like uh, the personification of um, is it gregarious, where someone just has that like large, happy sense oh, yeah. to them, where like people are attracted to the energy that they give. I don't know if I'm defining it right, but that's how I see the word gregarious. Like he would walk into a room and not life for the party, but he would people would gravitate towards him. He he was definitely that kind of person because you know he had sort of like built up everything on his own. Like, this is a guy who actually, his parents weren't his parents. He was adopted. Oh, wow. And so he sort of built up everything on his own. You know, like, his, his adopted parents were well-to-do and stuff. But, like, no, like, when he went out and did everything with him and his wife, they basically conquered the world. They were two of the first people across the Ambassador Bridge um, which is the bridge between uh, Detroit and Windsor, Canada? Uh, the first, the first day it opened, they let the uh, pedestrians go across half the bridge and walk back. Um, it's like a ceremonial thing, and they were two of the first people over there. Um, Was there a particular the time, reason for that? That they were two of the first people, or they just thought it'd be no, cool, they so just, they waited just, in line. They, 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 they were just there. You know, that was. Um, <laughs> Uh, like I said, he had met several people before. Um, like he had met Howard Hughes because he was uh, working uh, casinos. He was when he was a teenager. He unintentionally drove cars for the mob. Uh, he early worked, <laughs> he, he worked. He worked as a ball boy uh, for the Tigers. Uh, he got to do everything. During World War II, he was too old to serve, so he was a... This is actually where I'll get with uh, where this relates to me, too. He was a security official for some of the factories in Detroit, because, mind you, Detroit was the arsenal of democracy. You know, this is what we won the war with, and so he was there protecting secrets and industrial uh, components. He held the rank of sergeant. My grandfather served in Korea. Uh, he got in trouble, so he uh, got bumped down to corporal, but for a time, he was a sergeant as well. My dad spent 25 years in the police force, and he was also a sergeant. And I am in the Air Force with the rank of staff sergeant. No shit. So I'm the fourth person in my generational line to have the title sergeant. Dude, that's pretty freaking cool. No pressure on Thank your you. kids, huh? No, I will. I, I was when I have them eventually. I'm going to just guide them through life. That I will never tell them what they can and yeah. cannot do. Dude, you, uh, you describe in your great grandfather's eclectic life. I can't imagine just the old school sit down. Like when you're looking for that mentorship, you know, you oh. reach that certain age. Like you, you actually enjoy listening to your elder stories and you're just soaking in you almost like go there after school because there's some good food or whatever and you're just like i want to eat and listen to grandpa tell me stuff i can't imagine with all that met howard hughes ball boy for the tigers and then uh 
the Howard Hughes thing alone, like I reading about Howard Hughes, he was fucking crazy. Like oh, ge- yeah. genius oh, yeah. crazy. But like crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, he he'd met he'd met quite a few people and stuff and and I guess that, you know I, I almost imagine if he had if he had lived in another time frame like like this one, he'd probably be similar to me and meet with other people too. And you know, I've met lots of famous people too and uh but it it's more or less toward my liking rather than, you know, the famous people of the day. Yeah. And what was mayor of a small town? What was the, if I remember that right, was it a small town yeah. or was it just, okay. What was the small town? Cause I'm pretty unfamiliar with like Midwest geography. So it's uh, it's just a small town called Yale, Michigan. It, it's literally just a, it's like a, less than 2000 people live there now, or, or it's, I think now it's like a little more than 2000, but yeah, at the time it was, I'm sure it was probably just like a thousand people back oh, then, wow. but you know, it's still, you know, it's, you know, this mayor and he's he knows the governor and it's like wow that's yeah that's pretty cool mm-hmm. so just having those talks with him gets you into thinking about the future and trying to plan to get like a is there like in your mind do you see a what would the word be like not correct not proper like an absolute system a system that people should buy i don't even know how to ask like like uh, the correct way to do something i get because i mean background and i get really wordy when i try to think of things on the fly man i'm sorry but like i'm in school and i've been teaching for 15 years and i'm to the point now where i've seen just philosophy swing back and forth and i'm like dude we've been educating kids for a couple centuries now we haven't figured out if like phonetics should be all in half in no in like why is this still a debate don't we have enough research shouldn't there be one right way to do things so i guess that's what i'm thinking about you with your thoughts on government is like is there a right way is there a party is there a focus that should be that isn't the answer to your question is no um (laughs) sorry all Um, those words no point so so the so the benefit of what the founding fathers set forth with the ideals of the Republic, with what they set forth in the, in the Declaration of Independence as the ideals of what the country should be about, all of it really is achievable with the great with a great mindset. But one of the things I became enthralled with um, a couple of years ago is I went on a day trip uh, through Virginia, and we went to uh, Monticello and through DC and things like that. When I went to when I went to Thomas Jefferson's house. And then we, the next day we went to Ben Franklin's place in Philadelphia. In both cases, I'm looking at both men and, you know, deeply flawed individuals, but ultimately like these were people who just lived life to the fullest. And like they're, they're committed to so many things and they, they, they became so enthralled and ingrained with all of this. And, and through this process, I see they belong to this ideal of the age of American enlightenment. You know, we, we talk about the age of enlightenment, but really America was kind of like when it was founded, it was really sort of like the final push of it. And to get all the ideals of the enlightenment away from the grasp of the control, whether it be by the church or the monarchy in the old world, and now here in this new land, it could really be built upon. And 
I see that now we are kind of at that crossroads where we either regress into another dark age or we make the final accelerated push in the age of enlightenment. Oh, and okay. Um, and so when, when I look at something like the governing systems, to me, I'm not trying to build one for me. I'm trying to fight what's coming. And the, the thing is like to a lot of people who talk with like extremist ideas, like it's either, you know, according to people on the perceived right, the fear is communism or socialism. And the people on the perceived left, it's fascism or Nazism. But I've identified what the actual threat is, and it's already here. It's neo-feudalism. Neo. We are returning. So we are the, return the feudalism, um, I struggle with defining that. Like you, do you remember much of what you learned with Middle Ages? Or actually, better yet, did you watch Game of Thrones? Yes. Okay, so essentially we're kind of going back to that sort of system of governance with a few alterations. Uh, the alterations being more influence of corporations, less focus on things like race and gender in the, sen in the sense of it's not really a discriminatory sort of thing. So you're, you're not just going to see everything be like white male or anything like that. Okay. You know, there, there would be really no barriers to that. But essentially, it will be ceding power and control to a few select individuals. And this is going to be merging of two bodies of governance. That's going to be the political class who will be elected and will be perceived to have the power. And the other part is going to be the administrative state. This isn't to be confused with the conspiratorial deep state. This is, this is something that's out in the open. This is your like everything in government you see that is run by certain individuals who have long-term uh, employment with government but are not elected they're appointed or uh, hired into these positions and then just remain there for decades Th dude those are like the shadow people so again going back to biden and we don't have to spend a ton of time on it but yes uh -huh. you're super old yes you need to connect with the super young in my mind, you always hear like, well, what's his staff going to be? Who's on that staff, right? I guess that's mm -hmm. not my mind, but people say that. Oh, well, we can trust his staff. Who's on Trump's staff? Oh, it's all of his kids. And you never really know who actually writes the speech, who does the research, who puts the memo, what's the hierarchy of how information gets yep. passed up, who are the gatekeepers that allow Biden to have that one pager in the morning to like set his thoughts or try to like shape his philosophy. And that's such a good point that I don't think gets thought of as much is I, it's like you can have puppets up there and you got people that are influencing them because they just been around through whatever, 40 years in, in the White I'm sure there's someone who's been in the White House for, uh, for 10 administrations. Oh, for sure. I mean, you ever you watch the movie The Butler? You know, it's like where uh, he, he's in there and you see all, all the presidents that go by and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, this, is, this isn't to knock at the people who choose to do that work forever no but this is to make a note of there are some people in in administrative positions that are not held to account essentially and and the scary part is is that the reason why this is such a threat is because and, and, I, and I honestly don't think this is out of malice i don't think of this as some type of uh, you know conspiracy by some shadow government or some uh 
some new world order sort of dictation, but rather just sort of a a return to what we knew of in the past, in the sense of we we found that the democratic processes of the republic were becoming too difficult, and so we're kind of regressing back and just being like, you know what, I just I just want to I'll, I'll give up some of my liberties, I'll give up some of my power and influence, just let somebody do the the busy work, hmm. and so in that process the administrative state comes about and this is not something you can simply fight because it's made up of millions of people. And this isn't just something in the federal government. This is state, local governments. This is schools, this is uh, school districts. This is a lot of companies. This is a lot of corporations. I mean, you got to think like how many times you've ever looked at somebody's job title or somebody who kind of seems kind of incompetent in a certain like highly paid, highly influential, highly powerful job. And you're wondering how the heck did this person get here? And uh, there's a, there's a book, the guy who just passed away. I forgot his name though. Um, it's called uh, BS jobs. <laughs> and, uh, but, but like in, in it, he describes how a lot of, uh, employment is uh, it's not the majority but like a lot of jobs exist out there to just simply occupy space or to give justification for certain people to have an income but they don't actually add to the productivity of anything nor to the benefit of any society hmm. and so for me personally I don't fit in any one box uh, the way I describe myself in an exact format is I'm a moderate conservative libertarian independent who believes in free market communitarianism. That's so much. That, that's a third language for me, <laughs> right? Um, can, can I, before we try to break down that title, and this does, I, I do get into people who are well-read and have thought about politics. I, I love mm-hmm. like change ideas and I love people figuring out and helping me just to understand better government. Feudalism, let me just make sure I understand this right. Feudalism is fighting for power of just a couple people with this weird administrative state. So if I'm going Game of Thrones, that would be like when the priest took over and locked up the blonde lady. Well, well let, me, let me go back and see, see this uh, with the feudalistic aspects. I only talked about the administrative state. I didn't talk about the political class, but I'll, I'll talk about that real fast. So a good example is I have – in Michigan, we have um, – right now we have 14 congressional districts. We're about to lose another one uh, in the coming uh, – election cycle but right now one of them is held by a woman named debbie dingle now she's a nice person i'm not gonna knock against her or anything like that but she's been the congressperson since 2015 i believe the problem was who she got the seat from the person who held the seat before her was her husband john dingle who recently died he had that seat since 1955 and before that, the, re- the reason he got the seat was because he was appointed after his dad died when his dad took over the seat in 1933. So uh, after the next congressional election cycle, one family will have, will have had a congressional seat for about 90 years. Doesn't that kind of sound like a feudal lordship? Okay. And and the the thing is, I just use that as the best example. But I've got I've got tons of them. My county executive, he got his position based on his namesake. 
we have a guy in, who is currently on our township board. He got his, or he, he's on that position mostly because his parents were in, in, with the township government beforehand. So uh, wouldn't the, we, we just to pause on that for a second, like I'm looking at my own, my daughter, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. If she becomes a teacher, it's because it's what she's seen. I come home, I talk about teaching shit. She loves the fact that yeah. I have summers off. I, she also knows the in and out. So when she goes to an interview, it's almost like she has all this experience without having all this experience. And I'm yes. almost thinking of like you with your great grandfather. If you're hearing these things and you're getting these ideals, I've always wondered how much is name recognition versus you just know how it works because you've been around it. Well, and that's the key thing here. That's what I'm trying to determine is, is it because you're learning from the best or is it simply because you're being chosen for the namesake? And so ultimately what I also step into this is you ask the people who are pro-Trump, who they want to, if Trump can't win the presidency next, who they want to, to run. And you know who two of the choices are? Marco Rubio? No, no. I'm just kidding. Not little Marco. <laughs> it's, it's, it's either Don Jr. or Ivanka. It's got to be Baron. Like, you don't name well, well, your but, son but, but, Baron. But, no, I know, he's but, too but, young. But you, but you know what I mean by that. Yeah. So, so essentially, you know, forget the 330 other million, sorry, 330 million other people in the country. Your first go-to thing is the children of the previous leaders and then you look at the people who were super pro obama you know who they want to be president michelle yeah yeah like does that not worry anyone the sense that we're we're returning to this viewpoint of monarchy and feudal lordship to a point maybe maybe i'm looking too far into it in sort of that regard but it, it does seem that people are more concerned with a namesake before ideological preference in in certain political leaders. Yeah, I feel like that's just because it's known, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I think you are right about that because I think so many people, and I'm a fairly, I don't like to compliment myself much, but I'm a fairly intelligent individual. I couldn't keep up past three things when you were describing your political stature. Like, 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 dude, I had to like really sit there and think about feudalism. It didn't just like roll off. Like I could just associate 48 different meanings and understand it in a well-rounded way. I was like futile. The word futile means you try something and it doesn't work. Does that make sense in this context? Right? So people, no, no, but what I'm saying is people like, uh, you have your lives that take up so much of your time, energy, and focus and intelligence. You almost just want to trust. It's like Coca-Cola comes out with Diet Coke. You're like, dude, it's got to be decent. It's Diet Coke. It's connected to Coke. I liked Coke. Let me try Diet Coke. Okay, Ivanka. Well, she has a Trump brand. I mean, it's got to be kind of like Trump. I know Trump was something I was into. So let me just keep rolling with that. And like, I wonder if that actually helps the society because at some point it is like what you're saying. You just, you want to run your own life and you can't get bogged down in the weeds to understanding what they're really going to do about China's import tax. And even trying to understand how Medicaid for all could work. Is it feasible? Let's get into the weeds of an 85-year-old broken hip person with a million-dollar estate. How much should they pay on their map? You're like, dude, I don't want to do that. I want to go to my kid's lacrosse game and I want to laugh. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do with my time. I don't, I don't want to understand. So you just trust. You trust the name. 
Because you're like, ah, it wasn't fucked up when the father was there. Why not when the wife's there or the mother's there or the daughter's there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's kind of how, it's kind of how, like, the Kennedys maintained power. And, the, the, you know, you can see through so many different people that, you know, some of it could just be sons trying to live up to their dads. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at, look at Ron and Rand Paul. Look at uh, George and Mitt Romney. Look at, uh, look at Trump himself. He was trying to get out of his own dad's shadow. And you know, try and acquire this sort of respectability that he never got from his dad, and that could be to some degree. But uh, so, why does that bother you, or what's your worry with that? It's not that that's the worry. Like, I'm not against the politicians in that sort of regard. I'm, I'm. It upsets me in the sense that the people essentially forfeit part of the reason we became a country. Mm. That's because essentially what, what they want is an interchangeable monarch. They don't want the republic anymore. They want a king that they just have a say on who, can, who gets to be it. But essentially, it's, 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 it comes down to it. Think about how many times people want to get rid of, or how many times you've heard, well, I wish this person had a third term. And it's like, why? First and foremost, second terms have always been bad for presidents. Um, Basically, no president has had a successful second term. Yeah, see, even, of- even when you say that, I'm like, I have no idea what would make a successful or unsuccessful second term. Like, the you, most- no, no, and I, you don't have to oh, define yeah. it if you don't want to, because I, I, I guess I'm just trying to emphasize like ignorance and how widespread it is, because you're like, I, I mean, I guess my taxes didn't go up. I, like, I, I felt like I had money. I felt like I was safe. Okay. Yeah. Good term. Uh, I, I mean, don't, 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 don't worry. You can have a good two-term president. In fact, most of them are in the sense of that of that notion. The problem, though, is, is that when you compare a first term to a second term, in pretty much every case, FDR being the exception, because he has three point like a, a tiny bit of the fourth one. Uh, he, but like uh, aside from all that, you like in every single one of them, the second term has a worse effect than the first term. And so, you know, it's like with Washington, his second term had the Whiskey Rebellion and the Jay Treaty uh, uh, ramifications. Jefferson had the embargo. Uh, Madison had the War of 1812. Monroe's kind of the real exception to all this. But the problem was that his, his, so the election of 1820, he ran unopposed. He destroyed the Federalist Party. And so we ended up just having one party rule. The problem, though, was, was that he never – basically his biggest problem with his second term was the era of good feelings gave this false perception of uh, unity within the country, and thus the election of 1824 really messes everything up. And so this ends up forming the Democratic Party and then creates the new party system. Uh, you know, Andrew Jackson, Trail of Tears. Uh, Abraham Lincoln gets assassinated in his second term, so it doesn't count in that regard. Uh, Grant kind of leads up to the crisis in 1876, which ends Reconstruction and uh, leaves the South with Jim Crow until the 1960s. Uh, let's see who else? Uh, Grover Cleveland gets his uh, non-consecutive second term, but ends up not really being that productive. William McKinley gets assassinated. Teddy Roosevelt. Actually, I'll say this: I think Teddy Roosevelt's second term didn't turn out too bad, but. That was actually the only one he was elected to, so I don't know how you want to point that out. 
Kelling, oh, sorry, uh, Woodrow Wilson's just the worst president in the in the country's history. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dude, do you, do you have like a poster somewhere you're reading, or is this like a new no, scroll? How are you just? This is all common knowledge. Um, God, common knowledge. <laughs> oh, I I, I I can sing the nations of the world. I did so with Rob Folsom. <laughs> you can do what? I lost your. I was I was giggling oh, um, over you saying common knowledge. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, one time I met. Rob Paulson and uh, I sang the Nation of the World song with him. I have no idea what that song is. Uh, so you you know the show Animaniacs? I uh, maybe yeah. maybe when I was growing up. Is that like a Dipsy cartoon, kind of like a Bugs Bunny spinoff? There you go. The Animaniacs. Okay, yes, 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 yes. That is what I was thinking. <laughs> about. So, uh, so uh, the guy who voices that character, I met him. A couple times, and uh, first time I met him, I'm dressed as the character, but I, uh, uh, me and him, we sang the full version of the song, and so the song is set to the Mexican hat dance, and you know it goes United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic uh-huh. Dominican, Cuba, Caribbean, Greenland, Salvador, too, Puerto Rico, Colombia, Venezuela, Honduras, Guyana, Brazil, Guatemala, Bolivia, then Argentina, and Ecuador, Chile, Brazil, Costa Rica, Belize, Nicaragua, Bermuda, Bahamas, Tobago, San Juan, Paraguay, Uruguay, Suriname, Africa, Guyana, Barbados, and Guam. And then it goes on into like, Europe, Asia, and then gets to the African countries. And then like there's a new verse that added on with all the new countries that have on there. The funniest thing is that the whole song doesn't even list all the countries. There's still some that are missing. <laughs> like, it's, it's crazy. This, this is just what goes on in your mind, man. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's more or less just kind of remembering stuff it's right. it's more or less like and that's the whole thing like music can do that incredibly yeah. and and i'm a huge advocate for just learning in general um i come from a very um strange educational background i have done i believe every possible post-secondary educational group i I have done a year at a university. I spent most of my time uh, of education through community college. I have done CLEPS, which which are the uh, test out uh, of classes. Uh, I have military training, so that's always my technical school. I have certifications. Let's see, what else? I've done alternative forms of education on uh, apps like Udemy and uh, MITx uh, or edX. What else is there? Um, oh, you know what? I will say I do not have an apprenticeship. I did, I, I will. I will actually say that I have not done that. I would love to do that though. Um, but no. Uh, so right now, as it stands, I have five certifications, two associate's degrees. I'm working on a third associate's degree. I'm going to be getting another certification from the military and. In a couple of years, I'll have a fourth associate's degree. And like, just this weird thirst of knowledge that you it, just it, can't it, it, quench. So it's that, but it's more or less. I even, I even knew this as a teenager, kind of growing up. Like I, I didn't want to be committed to just one thing because I also I knew that life was so much more than just getting one job in one field, and. I also saw the trap that, you know, a lot of my classmates and friends were kind of falling into with, they told us all, you have to go to college, you have to get a bachelor's degree, and that's how you're going to get successful in life, because that's how you're going to get a job. 
And then, you know, I look at myself right now and, you know, I have my failings. I, I'm not where I want to be, but at the same time, you know, I don't think anyone is with the onset of the pandemic and the financial crises we've dealt with. But I look at myself and I, I would still think my childhood self would be kind of proud because I was the weak kid on the playground that got bullied every day. I was the person that suffered at the hands of people stronger than me. And in the time since graduating high school, I am now at over nine years in the military. I spent four years active duty Air Force. I was deployed to Afghanistan for five months. I uh, have gone on many military trips. Um, and then I have also trained to become a firefighter, too. And uh, I just recently got my EMT. And so... Like throughout all of this, I feel like I have overcome a lot of struggles. You know, going from the weakest kid in class to now being, the, I would hope, a model public servant, and even more so yet, I you know, the ideals of the old school knight, going back to the times of feudalism. Right. But uh, but you know, kind of the way I view my life is, I'm an anti-hero trying to be a hero. I don't want to get into what I think an anti-hero is because then you would have had to have like have dealt meth or <laughs> right. Like what's another famous anti-hero, but that, that explains a lot. If you were, I mean, if you were getting bullied and now you just have grown up with the sense of like, I don't want people to experience that. I, I want to yeah. remove unfair bullying, unfair, forceful behavior off of somebody. If I can, now that I'm in a position to, help absolutely and that, that's kind of my whole viewpoint on all this is that i want to make sure that the people who essentially if i were to gain political office my whole viewpoint is it's not about me i want to give a voice to the people who cannot ever speak like i i'm going to sit there and say i am not the voice of your cause but if given the chance, I'll be your megaphone, I'll be your podium, I'll be the person that lifts you up and gets you to the point you want to learn. So then, because that is something, I think that's when I was like, uh, again, I'm searching for guests and I click on your comment, I look at people's profile to see if they have the ability to be messaged, right? Or if the account is private. Mm -hmm. your, yours has the ability to be messaged. And it says future governor. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I got to get him on. <laughs> so, so like that's something, are you kind of playful with that? Or is that like a serious ambition of yours? That was an ambition of mine since high school. I will say that um, I had noticed that the governor was doing a bad job. And then the subsequent governor since have also done a terrible job. I don't know if you noticed what Whitmer did in Michigan. It, she's just been a terrible governor as well. And the whole idea is I, I kind of figure like that's a position where I can be highly influential. I can do a lot of good in that position, in the administrative roles of it. But more importantly, I can kind of utilize the bully pulpit of that situation to perform the things I think need to be accomplished. And it's going to be the toughest fight in my life in order to do so because I am an ardent independent now. I, I will say this. When I was younger, I was a Republican. Then 
just before the 2016 election, I went libertarian. Um, I advised a libertarian presidential candidate. And can we pause there just for a moment? Clarify yeah. for me, like a couple differences, Republican to libertarian. Well, not dealing with the fact that both parties are absolutely insane right now. <laughs> um, uh, philosophically, I would say. And I'm not trying to set you up in any way, but like, honestly, if um, I could, I feel comfortable describing to somebody probably a basic democratic platform, and I can probably feel pretty comfortable describing a basic Republican platform. When I get to these other ones, man, I'm at a loss. I'm like, I don't even know. The, the way I, I would pretty much view it is that the libertarians are kind of a combination of the Republicans and Democrats, but also on their own, too. It's sort of like a Venn diagram sort of format where libertarians would side me, with Republicans on issues like gun rights, uh, smaller government, you know, less taxes, less regulations, um, and uh, that sort of thing, whereas they would also side with Democrats on things like civil rights, civil liberties, um, ending the war on drugs, uh, ending harmful policing practices, uh, being, well, it depends because the Democrats aren't even always anti-war. So, but nor under like the Bush era timeframe, yes, they were anti-war. So that would be the libertarians in that sort of format, but the libertarians are kind of on their own in many regards. There, I will say there's, a weird half and half sort of split on the pro-life pro-choice sort of thing. Um, oh. That's the weirdest part. Yeah. That, there's literally no, there's literally no consensus on that. So, and just cause I've been kicking this around in my head and I, I want to get back to the governor thing and you're smart enough to keep me on track, but mm-hmm. this is something, the pro-life issue. And I, I'm very clunky with my words. Definitely do not mean to offend anybody. I really, in my mind, citizenship, right to life. I'm like, when is, does it come down to something so simple as you are a life and a citizen if you are self-sustaining and as long as you are dependent physically for your life on some other organism, your mother, mm-hmm. that person gets to ultimately decide whether you're entitled to that life because they are the one providing it to you. Like I've been playing this in my head as to like when a baby in a belly gets the rights of a United States citizen compared to its mother. And I'm just curious if you have thoughts on that or can help me to understand it so that I can articulate it in a better way. This will probably make anyone listening to this very angry about me with my political beliefs, but I have, I do have certain viewpoints and stuff on, on these issues, but ultimately, the way I view it is, this is a nonstop fight. This has been going on for, what, like 50 years at the minimum. This will probably go on for another 50 years or long after both of us are dead. I don't want to waste oxygen in the room discussing something that I know will not be solved by what I have to say. I want to focus on things that I can actually affect. And the pro-life, pro-choice fight is going to go on for decades and decades to come. The same arguments will be made. The same talking points will be used. And the same warriors will continue to fight. Hmm. 
I'm not going to change that. But I don't want to take away time from the other issues that actually can be fought and solved. And ultimately, that, that's why I hate listening to things that, you know, I, I, I've heard fights go on for like five years about when no changes happen. Talking in circles kind of a thing. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting – I mean that's a pretty you, – you do have to prioritize, right? You can only it, get it, so it, much it, shit it, done in a it, day. It, <laughs> and I, like I, that's I, an I, interesting way to look at it. I hate to like chicken out on that sort of format. I, but it's like I don't know it, if it's no, chickening no, out, man. No, like that's pretty well, bold to be like, oh, well, you know, if I'm not going to be able to solve it, why not use me to solve the things I can solve? Yeah, if you want to elect someone to to make that fight for you, then fine, elect them. I'm going to focus on the stuff I can get done in the limited amount of time I am given with the limited amount of powers that I'm entrusted with. Right. I am not here to be a cultural warrior. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a chicken answer. Honestly, I think that's um, that's kind of gutsy, dude. Because you, you would think that that would be one of those definers that you brought up. And I, I don't know. I was just throwing it out there because it's something oh, where yeah. I've been trying to think about it as my daughter matures. How I would explain it to her. Like what is the issue? And I'm curious where she's going to fall. Because right now I think she would fall as like, abortion's a sin from that like Christian mentality of youthfulness where there's like no gray area, everything's so black and white. Right. And mm -hmm. as you develop, you start to understand gray areas. And I'm like really wondering the thing where I can't get my mind past is, and maybe this is why it's been this conundrum is like, when does that child get to like, almost like a, a 15 year old that doesn't want to listen to their parents well, I still have parental <laughs> rights over you to make you do things. You can't just drop, you can't stop going to school. We have laws against that. I still have power mm -hmm. over you. So I try to take that thinking to the application of if I decide to not continue to support you while you're in my belly, don't I have that right? And I'm like, I, I, yeah, cause you're a person and you're the one supporting it. But then when does that person have a right to life and to protest? And are they given the chance to appeal? <laughs> right? Like, does the little baby get the appeal process that you would for so many other things? And my 15 year old's like, sorry, I want to be on my own. Well, I'm pretty sure she can go file paperwork. That's what Ozark taught me. You can go file paperwork. You can go grab a lawyer. You can try to emancipate yourself. And I'm like, I can't, I can't come to the point, to the line, to the this is when it's right. This is when it's wrong. And that's the only reason I was bringing it up, man. I don't know why that's been so um, on my mind the last couple of months, but like I find myself, especially when I go for jogs, like it's weird. I think about it and I'm like, is there an answer? And I think your answer honestly is the best answer. Like, dude, it's just been happening. I don't know if it's ever going to be solved. Why should we waste our time on an unsolvable problem at the moment? I will say this. I'm not saying it's not a worthy discussion to have. But I am willing to say, if you're going to have the fight for it, if you're going to have the discussion for it, then it needs to be something dedicated. It needs to be, okay, we're going to spend the next year, we have a dedicated groups of people to solve this problem once and for all and fix this in society. Otherwise, Ruby Wade remains law of the land. And that's just what you have to accept. Yeah. Like, ultimately... Your, you as an individual are not going to change that. Even a Supreme Court justice is not going to change that. You need a majority of people on the Supreme Court to change that 
and they have to first hear something regarding that. Yeah, and so right. this is a process that takes a long time with a lot of other people in the works. But you arguing on Facebook or Twitter is not going to change anything. Yeah. And you'd probably be better off – I shouldn't tell people what you'd be better off doing. But there could be an argument that maybe we could be educated, use that time to educate ourselves, read about other mm-hmm. things that are um, also important in life. Well, well, and that's kind of the problem that you end up facing too is that I'm not of the mindset that – Everyone can be an expert in everything. That's impossible. Right. And I'm not of the mindset of looking down on specialization. I come from a polymathic backdrop, as I, as I told you before. I'm in military construction, firefighting. I uh, just got into medical treatment. Um, but even I'm not an expert in any of these, really. I just I would say I'm advanced enough to be knowledgeable and above the vast majority of society. Like in each of these categories, I would be in comparison to the rest of the country, you know, 98 percentiles, that sort of thing. Um, in many other categories, I would probably be above average in that sort of retrospect. But there's some things I have absolutely no knowledge about or very little, and I'm willing to admit that. Um, but the thing I see happening within our society, especially in the terms of the, our, our economy, is blinder format um, specialization. In which case, you know, you go to a school and you get your uh, educational discipline in a specified field and you never reach outside that field. And so by doing so, it harms your chances of employment or great, great your, uh, uh, increases your uh, chance for unemployment if the economy falters because, you know, you only have the ability to get a job in this one you're pigeonholed, man. Could you imagine a yeah. bartender who only knew how to make one drink? Oh, God, that would be a horrible thing. Do you thing. know what I'm saying? They're like, yeah. sorry, sorry, yeah. I only pour draft beer. I'm all about the John Collins. That's it. No, Tom? Fuck Tom Collins. Only John Collins. And you're like, is that even a drink? It is to me. It's what I specialize in. <laughs> but uh, you know, aside, aside from that, though, you, you also have this notion of, you may be hindering yourself in that categorization too, because uh, you know when you have the ability to look at different perspectives, you can then apply that within your specialization. Mm-hmm. I love and that. In which case, into which case, you know, uh, I learned a lot more uh so so actually uh so my job in the military being a heavy equipment operator i'm able to apply that while um being a firefighter because i can then utilize that sort of training on a fire engine and so i kind of was able to cross the two fields that would technically be unrelated into sort of a shared useful knowledge setting up a, a aerial truck uh for raising the ladder is almost similar to raising uh, or setting up a crane to perform a lift. And I'm certified in both. Gotcha. And so I, I kind of see the connections now. And I realize that everything is basically connected. Everything has a shared connection point. And we categorize things in order to make them orderly, yeah. which isn't bad. It's the problem is that we section off these categories 
and we don't let people associate with things. And I'm actually going to say this is probably the biggest failing point during of the governmental response during the pandemic. We entrusted, at least from a media point of view, everything to Dr. Fauci. Oh, yeah. The problem, King and Fauci. The problem is Lord, Lord Fauci in our feudalistic society. <laughs> Lord Anthony of the House Fauci. <laughs> so, so the big problem that you end up with that with him is that uh, you know he's an epidemiologist, okay, and you know you had people like Rand Paul criticizing him. And when, you know, people who defending Rand Paul would say, well, he's a doctor. And then other people would say, well, he's not the kind of doctor that Dr. Fauci is and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, but then when you have a conflicting idea from Dr. Redfield, who is a virologist, then you start realizing that, well, then whose side are you on? Are you on the epidemiologist side or are you on the biologist side? And then I took the notion of Dr. Donald Henderson. Now, do you know who that is? No idea. Donald Henderson should be a name every American, everyone in the world should know, because he's got the points for the most lives saved. Oh, how? What do you mean? Yeah. How do you how do you measure that? For a decade. Now, this isn't this isn't theoretical lives. This is we knew people would die if it wasn't for his actions. Now, mind you, it's a it's a full team. Technically speaking, it's thousands of people and stuff, but he's the one that gets the credit for this for a whole decade. He went around the world to the deepest reaches of, of the planet. And he was administering through a joint venture with the World Health Organization, the smallpox vaccine. He eradicated smallpox from the planet. Because he just the sought great... out areas that needed this vaccine to halt its so, spread. Like he figured so out. By, so, so it was like by 1970 or 1971, like all of America had already been like vaccinated from this. Or the majority of America had. And he realized, well, there's a lot of countries that have already done this. And so him and the World Health Organization, they got together and they basically said, you know, why even worry about this anymore? We have the vaccine numbers. Let's distribute it out. Let's track down everyone in the world. Let's vaccinate everyone at, at this point in time. And if we do so, the, the disease disappears. And they did so. And so for 40 years, the world has been smallpox free. And in that time frame, the only known places of where smallpox exists is in a lab in Russia and the CDC. And so this was the greatest global kill. Yeah, so this, he, he was the like the originator of herd immunity kind of a thing? Like he actually well, no, put no, it no, into play? No, the, like the smallpox vaccine had been around for a long time. It had been around since the 1800s. Uh, before then, they um, they inoculated people through, um, you know, like they would introduce the virus and everything to the people. Um, Similar to like a chicken pox like, party? Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, and, and, it, and it did actually help. But when they found the cowpox um, uh, ability to, or, or was it a cowpox? I, I'm not sure. I had to look up the information for it again. But essentially, yeah, the, the smallpox vaccine came from a lesser virus. And so when they did that, it was like fully effective. And I'm one of the few people who actually has money. Uh, it's right there. What is that? I got, I got mine. That's a smallpox vaccine. I got oh. mine back in 2013 because, uh, going to Afghanistan, they, you know, they don't 
they they they're they're highly sure it's not there, but it's a precaution. Um, okay. You know, I, I'm certain if you if you found the information, I'm sure someone can give someone a, a smallpox vaccine. But it, it's it's one of those things where it's like since the virus hasn't existed for decades, it's kind of pointless to yeah. get. I wouldn't say that, but it you know. It is, so the whole point, what I'm saying with all of this is, Donald Henderson gets almost completely forgotten about in history, despite leading this effort that is that that saved thousands, if not millions, of lives over the course of many decades. Can you then apply that there? Like, should well, number one, I guess, is Donald Henderson still around? Is he still working for the government? He died in 2016. Okay, but the reason the reason I brought him up was that he back in the 2000s. He actually laid the groundwork for what the U.S. should do during the next pandemic. Hmm. And we didn't follow that, that playbook. And I think that's, that's part of the uh, – it, it kind of shows you the difference between someone like Fauci and someone like Henderson. Henderson did the studies, was a doctor, was an epidemiologist, but he also went out in the field. This was a guy who went to the countries. This was a guy who applied his methods. This was a guy who fought fearlessly for all this. And this was also a guy who didn't really take the credit. That's what we were all, he, you know, he accepted some awards and you know, he, he basked in some glory from the institutions he worked with. I mean, who wouldn't? But <laughs> this, this wasn't a media hawk. And I actually had to look up his information when he died because like I, I look it up and I'm like, this this guy wasn't mentioned in the in memoriam on the uh, like news broadcast when the 2016 ended, and it's like, oh my god, this guy saved so many people, and we just kind of forget about him. But but on the other hand, you look at the hero worship that Fauci has gotten for, I, I'm dare I say, he's the glorification of mediocrity. Like I mean, he's not a good doctor. No, why is that? It will, in the sense of he's been in the governmental employment for what, like more than four decades now. I mean, there's 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 photos of him failing at the AIDS crisis, and it's it it really goes to show you, like this is a guy who I, I kind of treat him as like a snivelly little uh, pipsqueak. You know, he's he's so quick to. Be happy with the celebrity, but then when something goes wrong, he blames someone else. Uh, that's, I guess, that's my whole viewpoint on it. And this isn't, this isn't to say it from some sort of conspiratorial point of view or anything like that. No, it's I think that's a like, fair point, dude. Because I think people get to those positions where they want—I don't know if they want to be idolized, but like you were saying about the fame and seeking the perks of it. I mean, like, why, why are, what, didn't he appear on, like, GQ all fucking modeled up or something? Oh, like, yeah, what, yeah, what, like why, I, why are you doing that, dude? Go get in the fucking lab. He, he was, he was throwing out baseballs to an empty stadium. Yeah, like, uh, you should not be taking time for that shit. If you are our best mind, you are in and you are fucking putting things in Petri dishes. I want to see little papers getting dipped in there. Yeah. I want the centrifuge spinning like crazy. And while that's going on, you got a Bunsen burner on on the other end. Like I want you just going ape in the lab. I, I don't want you getting makeup on and making sure your hair's right. And that's the whole thing. Like Henderson was in villages in Africa and Latin America and uh, the Middle East and you know the deepest 
parts of Asia and stuff like that. This guy was working for a decade. He wasn't going on a media tour. He wasn't doing stupid shit like that. He was working. And you know, when I see when I see Fauci always on the TV, I'm like, so what are you actually doing? You're not working. Yeah, you're prepping. And how big is your team? What are those resources taking away from other things? Yeah, and so I'm not from a conspiratorial point of mind, but I subscribe to Halon's Razor, in which case, you know, don't attribute to malice, which which can be attributed to incompetence. And overarchingly, I think that a lot of the problems we faced during the pandemic were because of incompetence. And this was about people blaming each other. This was about being caught off guard. Um, people were concerned about the shortage of PPE. I knew about the PPE shortage in September and October of 2019, well before the pandemic came underway. Um, Why did you I know knew- about that? So I was doing orientation week at my fire department in September, and my sergeant was uh, giving me a uh, what's called a fit test. And uh, so my SCBA mask I had to wear over my face, and there's a machine you hook it up to, and you have to see whether or not there's any leaks in your mask, and you know whether or not it's proper breathing and stuff like that. Okay. Then he does so with a, an N95. So I put on the N95. And, you know, we're trying this out, and I keep on getting fails. And then he's like, ah, oh, crap, this mask doesn't work. And so he had to throw it away. He's like, I don't want to throw these away. We, 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 have, uh, we barely have any of these to, uh, to uh, give out or anything like that. I'm like, <laughs> that's a little weird. And then the following, month, the following month, I'm on military training in Germany, and we're working with a lot of concrete dust. And so they hand out N95s to like 150 people or however many people we were with, they say, make sure you use this for the next two weeks because we have a shortage and we barely have any extras. Please don't waste them or anything like that. I'm like, it's really weird. And so I knew about all of this months before the pandemic even happened. And so this was a government that was clearly caught off guard and didn't take uh, – to, didn't take note of the resource inventories that they uh, had. And, and this was basically at every level of government. My local government was not prepared for this. My state government was not prepared for this. The federal government was woefully unprepared for this. And this goes back to what I was discussing with um, people like Pelosi and McConnell and Biden and uh, these people who have been in government for so long. The same people who oversaw the Iraq war and the financial crisis, and, uh, you know, uh, like the 2009 swine flu uh, epidemic, that sort of thing. All these people should have learned from these events, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we built up this massive... Because they're insulated, uh, right? Well, we built, we built up this massive national security apparatus after 9-11, and we didn't protect the country mm-hmm. from this pandemic. Uh, via supplies, via anything like that. You know, we, we, we've had more than 10 years to prepare for an economic crisis since the 08 crash, and we were completely caught off guard. Like, unemployment rolls were backed up for months. Hmm. I knew people that didn't get their unemployment checks for weeks after they were supposed to have it. And so it's like, what were they financing with? And then, uh, you know, we, 
it had also been since 2009, since this last major um, health crisis with the disease, we had many scares since then, whether it be Ebola or Zika or MERS or that, uh, anything like that. And like we were 100% caught off guard. Now, I hope to God we're not caught off our guard again. I think, I think we won't be. I think people have adopted certain policies in their life that they're going to know for the future. And so we're not really going to run into, into that sort of situation again, hopefully. But this does kind of point out uh, a situation of you have all of these uh, functions of the, within the federal government, and somehow they all failed. Yeah, well, that, that gets to – and I, I really like what you said about Donald Henderson. You, you need theory and you need practice, right? Uh-huh. And just – my limited experience, why schools are so fucked up, the people who make decisions are never around those who then implement and the people who are impacted by those decisions. And that's what I actually really like about the military. So I was in National Guard. Um, I served nine years National Guard. And I love oh, the nice. military hierarchy because there's all these people who are in these almost middleman roles where they have a foot in both ends. I'm with you. I'm a grunt on the ground getting things done. But at the same time, I'm also filling out reports, helping the people who make decisions to understand. And that's the chain of command. And then the people who read those reports hang out with the people who are kind of on the ground, but then they also know how to whatever, like wear a tie or they know the political speech. They know how to say things without offending people, right? Which is a skill unto itself. And I don't see that in, in at least my experience with school districts that I'm dealing with. I, I don't see that. And it seems politically, if people would have been around the PPE shortages, asking those questions, doing like field check-ins or something that basic, you'd been like, so Tim, you don't have a bunch of these masks laying around and you train with them all the time? Huh. And all of a sudden, like the gears start going, you're like, man, we should check all that inventory, blah, blah, blah. And yes, that is like whatever, arm Monday morning quarterbacking because it's like everybody needed a mask, nobody had a mask. But it's just a practice of leadership that can very easily get overlooked connecting back to Fauci because you get that role and now you're on GQ. You're worried about what you're looking like. You're worried about maintaining your position because of the perks that come with the position and the status that comes with it. And it is a real fucked up part of government and leadership. So I I like what you're pointing out about true leadership is remaining as a servant while making those leadership decisions. I think that's a huge deal. I I don't ever want to like implement this. Like if, if I were to get the governorship, it would be more or less sort of a suggestion toward the general public. But an idea I came up with would be highly controversial. Um, I love it. But so essentially it would be in order to seek high office, and by high office I mean like of the federal or uh, state government, um, I'm not going to include the local governments because I don't really view that as truly high office or anything. But if you want to be a state rep, if you want to be a state senator, if you want to be the governor, if you want to be the attorney general, if you want to run for president or uh, be in Congress or a senator, that sort of thing, you have to serve a minimum of two years as a public servant. And what I mean by that is this could be min- this could be military, but it could also be being a cop. Being a firefighter, being EMS, 
being uh, a public school teacher. Yeah, I was going to say being a, teachers, yeah. being being a public defender. You know, like working Dude, parks and rec. But, Go be a lifeguard. But, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll even I'll even throw that. Like I will I will make it so like non like you know uh, restrictive. A working government position. But like at the same time, it's like you can't be uh, like elected office does not count. So if you if you're solely like a local elected official, that does not count. Uh, you have to actually work during this time frame. And and it's not just like simply a part time basis either. It's like you know, oh, I was a lifeguard during the sum during two summers. And it's like no, it's got to be a full two years. It's like if you only want to make that work, then you got to work like eight summers as a lifeguard. <laughs> and what do you? Why does that matter? Or what do you hope people get from that when they run for office or if they get elected? It's it's not a guarantee, no. But it's more or less. First and foremost, there's almost no one size fits all plan that's going to fit for everyone. You know, I can sit there and say, you know, offer up free college. Not everyone's going to go to college. I can offer up, I can sit there and say, you know, free health care for everyone. But a lot of people don't even ever use medical insurance. And so it's like, why should they put the bill for something they're never going to use and stuff like that? And that's why I'm not for those things. I'm just saying, like, that's uh, those are ideas that can be discussed. No, no. However, no, yeah, no, man, but, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut but, you off, but I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but I'm saying, what do you but, hope? If I'm running for a state position and I've worked two years public service, that matters because why? I think overarchingly, if you were to go it across the board, I think it would instill in people sort of a commitment toward what they're running for office. Because a lot of people nowadays, so I take this back, I want to go back to the post-war time frame, you know, post-World War II. 80% of Congress after World War II were veterans. Mm. Nowadays, I think it's less than 20%. Oh my God, man. Yeah. And you sit there and, and you look at it, and the more and more I view certain people, the, uh, I, I, it's, it's interesting. People want to have control without going through the discipline format before gaining power. And so what I mean by that is that they they don't want to the community. They want to lord over the community. And so they have no vested interest. They didn't put the investment forward. They didn't gain the discipline in doing so. It's like the scene from uh, Jurassic Park where um, Jeff Goldblum's talking about you know how the scientists didn't uh, didn't master the stuff on their own. They just took what other people did, built on that, and then they're selling it. They're selling it. And so it, it's kind of that sort of format, and and so you know you you look at why the founding fathers were so successful. Well, they were the ones that put their lives on the line. You know, Washington, Adams, Jefferson, they were the ones that committed treason against the crown. They were the ones that were threatened with death. They were the ones that put forth their lives, their money, their property, everything like that. And then when they got rewarded with political power and such, it was because they had helped build that up. They helped craft the systems in the first place. Nowadays, though, it's like, obviously, you, you, know, you can't build the government nowadays, but it, it does seem like a lot of people just kind of, have you ever seen the people that like move into a congressional district just to run? I've not. 
it. Or if I have, I didn't recognize it. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, there, there, there are people like that out there, though. Like, they'll, they'll move into a place, and then they'll just instantly run for office. Gotcha. And, and it's like, I don't, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. That seems so anti what yeah. the position, if you're a representative, but you've not grown up knowing what the needs of your constituents are, how could you accurately represent them or have their vested interests? Oh, yeah. And, and this, isn't, this isn't to go against anyone who, you know, wasn't born in an area and thus they can't ever run for No, dude, things. but there, there's a difference problem, between, man, all right, I got to live somewhere. For, it's almost like trying to get in-state tuition in a college, but it's a way yeah. bigger deal. You know, like, all right, man, I got to have a residence in a state of Michigan for two years so I can go to the University of Michigan for way cheaper. Like, mm-hmm. you should not do that if you're planning on running for office. You should actually be a part of the community where you are a part of the community and then run for office to make change. You shouldn't move somewhere to be like, oh, you know what? There's a lot of Republican votes left on the table over there in the 38th district. <laughs> I bet you I could. Or you know what? That incumbent's a little off his rocker on the 33rd. I could get that. Like, no, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it, it's kind of, it's kind of that format. I, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who who probably could do a good job in that sort of position. The problem though is that they're not, they're not able to because they're not of the political mindset. You mean other people who are the political mindset, a lot of them are not the best people for the position. They are. I, another thing I'm, I'm worried about is this sort of breed of younger people getting into politics where they're strictly their whole life is politics. Like they have literally nothing outside of politics in their life. And so their entire their entire resume is everything is political. Like you can't even get these people who have like worked at fast food. It's like no, it's like you know I I started off in this campaign and then I and then I was an intern for this congressperson and then I worked at this political organization and but stuff like, like so that. Isn't the, I, I guess again it, it goes to the counter argument of aren't you specializing now in the field? that you're going to commit yourself to. And that's a bad thing because you lose the perspective of the people you're going to serve. As simple as that. You've never been through their shoes. You don't have true empathy. Well, therein lies the problem though. And and that discussion is, is politics an actual job or is it supposed to be a public service? Holy shit. That's a philosophy. That that is a great quote right, right there. Because ultimately, you know, you, you sit there and you, you say that, well, then, Essentially, the only people who then can run for office would be those who have poli-sci degrees. Mm. And if that's the case, then all it will be is just politicking. Meanwhile, if you had sort of less a breakdown of society, you can actually kind of see that we're missing the engineers and the medical doctors and the teachers and the regular public service perspectives just different perspectives, different points of view. Hey, when you make this law, you know it will affect this department. And if you go back to what you were bringing up with people working for two years, if you had a couple people that actually had to teach for two years, and then all of a sudden some bill gets passed about government funding, they're like, well, really, that's how it would affect the classroom. Do you realize class sizes are impacted by this? You're giving money, but the way you're giving money allows bloated administrative costs versus getting to the kids. And then a fire department could be like, well, you know, when you're cutting our budgets, it 
blank. And then they're able to advocate for all those different services that are there for people to pay taxes on. But if they've never done it, it's hard for them to make those decisions or have those insights or even get those voices because now you're dependent on lobbyists and lobbyists just feels dirty. Lobbyists feels yes. like a weird like the quid pro quo of I'm going to give you 500 grand, get this done. Not, Oh, it's the best. It's what we want to keep money coming in for our own lobbyist positions to be maintained. And then we'll give you some of it. It's actually like a very weird pyramid scheme. When it I is. think about and, it. And, and, and that's kind of how it all is. It's, it's, it's with other people's money. It's like, they don't yeah. ever have to worry about their own stake in this sort of thing. And, and, and that's, that's going back to the founders argument, you know, it's like these guys put forth their own money for their cause. Meanwhile, what do politicians put forward to today? Dude, it's How insane when you hear like Biden, Biden this quarter raised $25 million. And he's like, do TV ads and posters and billboards cost that fucking much? Or like, oh, how thought, much of that goes to like him being able to fly and write that off, or him get some office space somewhere, or him hire family members to run his campaign and like funnel that money back to him? I don't know, man. That's I know that was probably that was, that was definitely probably the biggest insult during the pandemic was all the candidates who begged for money from people. And like, again, you know, these people are unemployed right now. They lost their jobs because of this virus. They like the, the economy shut down and. You're asking them for money. It's like, do you have no common sense and no heart? Yeah. Or wait, do you not have your own Wi-Fi where you could just fucking tweet and post your own videos to get your message out there? You like, well, I, you really need <laughs> the rally. I don't know. I just, I like so, to oversimplify things. Well, well, and that's the funniest thing of all too, is that the amount of money we spend for these campaigns is, is, is absolutely ridiculous because the way it works is that the, so the people who have, uh, so, so I, I don't know the exact numbers, but essentially, you know, there's a good chunk of like, let's just use Congress as a representation here. So you have 435 seats, a good chunk of them are safe districts for a party. So they, you know, they just always vote Republican. They always vote Democrat. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no real general election. So the fight is in the primary. And so when that happens, then that's where all the resources get spent is in the primary race. Now, the big problem that you face with something like that is that you have partisan favorites in that sort of thing. So there's no real race that goes on. It's more or less a coronation mm. that occurs. And if someone's an incumbent, they're going to win 99 times out of 100. It takes something serious to screw that up, which is why, which is why uh, AOC has my respect in that regard for what she did beating the incumbent, which I will say was downright impossible, you know, or improbable, I should say. I was and about to say that, that as off. well. I'm glad you corrected yourself. I didn't want to have to correct you as a guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so um, going off of that format, I would say your a, a good a good way to fix the primary system is something like ranked choice voting. Um, when you, are you familiar with that concept? Or I, I want to answer your question with another question. How many of your concepts have I been familiar with? 
I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'd say pretty close to zero. So no, I am not familiar <laughs> okay. at all with okay. ranked choice voting. So, so ranked choice voting is essentially like, you know, like four candidates. And instead of just voting for one, you order your preference. You know, oh, one, dude. two, three, so four. Like the, and so you're, you know, if your first choice, sorry, if, if, if your uh, candidate doesn't win, then it's like a process of elimination and the votes then get shifted around until there's two people left and one person gets over 51%. Yeah. They win that. Yeah. So, so basically when you explain that to laymans who are sports junkies, that's how they do like coach of the year in NBA. Yeah, the NBA and first team. They rank everybody, and you got to pick a one. Yeah, okay. God, man, you are um, you're too polite to be mean to me, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that is. Uh, I actually, that would be a real interesting way because you would wait. It would be a golf score then, right? Lowest score wins for your overall rank, or do you wait? Like, is a first place so, so vote worth four? A second place vote worth three? It's it's not about it's not about like you know the person who comes in last wins. No, far from that. It's more or less like if it so if a person automatically gets a majority, there's no rank choice going on. If that person won. The problem is that if you have multiple candidates and no one gets a majority, they get a plurality. Well, then that person doesn't win. It has to be a consensus from the general public. And so mm-hmm. if you have like three people who dominate in uh, like each one gets a third of votes and then like everyone had the same second person, then maybe that second person is the overall best choice because that was everyone's second choice. Gotcha. And so consensus builder. Yeah. And so this then gives the general public a more shared candidate rather than the two parties duking out over this, over this middle ground. And mind you, the majority of voters are already committed to a party. You know, Mitt Romney didn't say it right, but he wasn't wrong when he had the notion about the 47%. In most, like within like something like presidential election, most of the time, yeah, it's about 47% on each side are already committed to the cause. And so it's that 6% in the middle that are the deciding factor of everything. I want to go back to getting you elected because that was <laughs> fucking 40 minutes ago. But I'm really curious, man, because I've actually – and I don't know if you – how much into past episodes of mine you uh, scrolled. I just found out about you. I just looked at like the titles. I haven't tell them to listen okay. to any. I'm sorry. So back, no, no. That's fine. I wasn't trying to get you in and I got you thing at all. Um, but I have 153-ish episodes posted Way back in like the 70s or 80s, I went on a run of Delaware candidates for all sorts. Mm -hmm. Sussex County Council, Lieutenant Governor, House of Representatives, State Representative, State Senate, Governor. And speaking with them, like I was a little, not to throw shade, but to throw shade, a little disappointed with their lack of understanding of numbers. And they they, they were well-spoken on what they were passionate about. But when I got to the logistics of, what do you need? So when if you got 10,000 votes, do you win? What what district? What 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 part of the map are you focused on? And no one really had like that quantitative answer. It, they all seemed very passionate about and intelligent about what they were going with. I was just taken back that they didn't have this like blueprint of, look, I'm going to get 48 votes here. I'm going to go over to the west side and I'm going to run up 113 and I'm going to get so I'm curious for you running, 
How's like, do you have a year and do you have a plan? Can, can I hear about this? I actually do. Uh, hopefully the year is 2026, which will be not this coming midterm cycle, but the following one. The goal is to form an independent coalition. I'm going to ask all the third parties in the state to stand down on uh, sending a gubernatorial candidate. In return, I will give them not endorsement, but rather advocacy for their parties in my platform. Essentially, you know, like every party should have a participation within the uh, situation. So essentially, I'm going to try to unify all these parties to get sort of a threshold of about three to five percent of voters off the bat because they're so small, they can't do anything. But combined, then we can start off Mm -hmm. with a base. And then I'm going to, while the candidates in the two major parties are going to duke it out in the primaries, I'm going to tag along to each of their parties and sort of be like, if your candidate doesn't win, I hopefully I can be your alternative. I may not agree with you on all these things, but I'm sure we share some beliefs. Uh... And so, so set it up as I'm the alternative for the Democrat and the Republican. Meanwhile, I'm going to try to inspire people who don't ever vote or who are independent voters to, uh, you know, kind of get behind this platform. All the while, I'm going to treat it like a feudalistic battle. I'm going to try and... I'm going to try and create strongholds, essentially, in certain regional areas and maximize my hold on there before I start uh, going in and trying to conquer another territory. Yeah, it's so hard for me to keep up with you, man. Um, (laughs) Just in my (laughs) mind. And I'm not saying that as an insult at all. I'm saying that in admiration because I really love the way your mind works. I'm just impressed with the strategy of Again, if you think about the Democratic Party, what what do they have? Fucking like 17, 19 candidates. And how many people were like, hey, you are clearly passionate about Tulsi. Yeah. She didn't make it. I am the Tulsi of my party. Give me your vote, right? Like, I wonder how common is that strategy? Have you researched that at all? Because to me, that's brilliant because you would figure – it's not. Um, essentially, only other like only certain third parties have ever really tried that out. But um, essentially, yeah, that that's kind of the way that uh, you know people should be looking at this. Um, I will say this: I I have gotten a compliment from uh, George W. Bush's 2000 campaign media director. Um, I so it was a local radio station that uh, had him on as a guest, and they were talking about campaign songs you know how like um like bill clinton used um don't stop from fleetwood mac as his mm-hmm. campaign stuff like that so i called in and i said uh you know if i were a candidate i would use the song escape from the city from the soundtrack of sonic adventure 2 and uh <laughs> i and and the, the the radio host is laughing at it he you know he, he's treating it like it's a joke and i got them to play it on air that was the coolest part but um the the media director though when he heard it he's like that's one of the smartest things i've ever heard this is this is probably going to be the future of campaigning because you're going to have these people who grew up on video games wanting to utilize this type of music to advocate for their causes and this is something that a lot of people find comfort in or uh, admiration in 
Dude, what about gifts like finish him once you destroy <laughs> like a primary opponent? Like how oh, yeah. many how many more people are on board with you if that's what happens? Well, and honestly, like there's a lot of advocacy throughout social media that yeah. you can easily utilize within these types of things. And because to of rain on people's is, nostalgia, man. Like nostalgia is a very, well, very powerful emotion. Well, and what's really interesting is, is that nowadays, because of the advocacy throughout technology and because of this pandemic, which which we saw, the Zoom meetings and stuff like that, I would imagine that debates can now happen at every level of government in every office. Oh, they you don't should. Need to, you don't need to have a televised debate. for and, you know, It doesn't need to be held just simply for the select few offices. Now, you actually can compete with each other and you know we, this is what we could, should be advocating for is that they're you know you're, you're talking about the public commons you're talking about the ability for people to then you know contribute with the public discussion on who their leaders should be and ultimately hopefully that's that's what we can find, hope for so 20 2026 mm -hmm. strongholds Help me understand what makes a stronghold a stronghold. Governor's a pretty big office for the first one. Yeah. To me. Like, I know. I, maybe, maybe school board is what I would have started with, but I have zero ambition and 10% of the intelligence of you. <laughs> so I, strongholds. I'm, I'm not a political ladder climber. I just want to get into a position and get the job done in that sort of regard. And – I'm under the mindset of I'm seeing all these people who run for the office and you know, I look at who the current governor is and I sit there and I, sit and I say, what, you're going to make me wait 20, 25, 30 years to build up some type of political resume on the off chance that I can run for a partisan uh, you know, position within the party to, you know, I might win the primary, in which case then I'm going to have to sacrifice a lot of ideals just to with the, with the possibility of winning an office, which will guarantee the opposition party will stand in every, in front of everything I try and do, like that's the mindset they want to have. Meanwhile, for me, I'm just going to be like, well, I'm competent enough to do the job. As long as I find the ability to do the resources, I'm going to try and convince the body politic and the people within the state that. I am the best person for this job unless someone better can come along, which I will cede power to them immediately. And if I can prove my point, that's all I want to do is I want to prove my point. I want to prove to the people that I can do the job. And I'm going to put myself through a lot of checks and balances. I'm going to make a promise to the people that if I fail in any regard, that a large section of the population feels the need for something like a recall petition or something like that, I will fully endorse that. And after a year, a recall election will be administered. If I am, if I am terrible within a two-year time frame, I will resign. T terrible by whose definition? Like I a will, Twitter poll? I will, set, I, will, I will set standards. In the sense of, like, if I don't follow through with these standards or these promises, then <laughs> I will basically force myself to resign. 
And it's not going to be like, I'm not going to, you know, put up some impossible task and then be like, you know, I'm going to catch myself in that sort of thing. Or like these people are going to outsmart me or in that regard. But it's like, if I'm legitimately failing the people, then I don't deserve to be the governor anymore. So if you run on a plat, can you give me not saying, not asking you to stick to this in 2026? Because I mean, that's the platform could obviously change in five years. You don't know what's oh, yeah. going to be needed at that time. But could you give me a current example, hypothetical, of something you'd be like, hey, I'm running on Detroit is going to have 10,000 manufacturing jobs. If I don't get Detroit 10,000 manufacturing jobs, get me out of office in two years? Like something like that? Um, so like I guess like one policy I really would like to have is – an incentivization to get as many people within the medical treatment uh, chain of survival, essentially. So one of the things I want to do is I want to try and create like a tiered list format for uh, like driver's license that would include a person's medical treatment capabilities. And thus, essentially, like everyone would be incorporated into this medical licensure. So the goal essentially would be try and get as many, if not every adult within the state of Michigan to be CPR BLS certified. Got So they've, this is an app in Delaware that I think is out there where if you are CPR certified, you can register. Then if someone calls 911, they're in need of resuscitation. And you, it's almost like Uber. What's the closest Uber? If you are closer than like the person's person's cell phone. Exactly. Because you, by by accepting the app, you're allowing them to track you. And then you're driving down the road. All of a sudden, and you're like, holy shit, someone's dying a block away or right down the, for me, it wouldn't be a block away. For me, it'd be like, oh man, down the road to the left of the cornfield. That's where they're dying. I can get there quicker because we're kind of rural. Let me roll. And I've accepted that responsibility and almost crave that not not power but that opportunity of let me apply these skills which in in like in essence is noble as hell and it makes so much sense but i'm also giving away so much of my privacy because <laughs> what if i'm like yeah i'm cpr certified ah, i'm on a date man have you not seen the girl i'm with i'm not trying to save your life i'm trying to get i'm trying to make a life <laughs> but but I, you know you you do you, you you just gave me a good idea on that yeah and I'm You're gonna I, I'm gonna actually I'd like to look into that yeah um the uh but but you know it's not just that too like one of the things I want to do is I uh, right now I I last semester I did MFR which is medical first responder um I just finished EMT uh so the medical first responder is like it's just a lower level version of EMT you just can't do certain things. But it's like every police officer should be that. And to me, uh, personally, I would, I would, get, I would uh, have a program to finance it for free and then find like, ways to incentivize um, teachers to take it. Oh. And so that sounds... like, every, every teacher would be MFR certified within the state within like a five or six year time frame. Yeah, that sounds a little more plausible than the every teacher will be able to operate a handgun and shoot mm-hmm. <laughs> be like be able to take yeah. out an active shooter where a bunch of teachers I worked with I want to say that was 2016 was that Sandy Hook but like when that uh, was 2012 2012 yeah. oh my god 2012 think about that yeah. 2012 like number 12 2012 I think 
Like, like December 5th, I'm 14. I'm sorry. That was a real fear of like teachers retire. Like I remember talking to a teacher or two who like contemplated retirement because they're like, they're going to make me have a taser or a handgun and I'm going to have to shoot someone coming down a hallway. I can't deal with that. And you're like, yeah, but most teachers would be fine with like, hey man, we're going to make sure we're going to take half a day in the summer. Make sure you're CPR certified. If something goes down with a kid, you know, some basic medical treatment and you're not mm-hmm. dependent on the school nurse running down there wasting those minutes and seconds which are precious get and that's on kind it. of part of it that's part of like that whole program like i saw so basically i came up with the idea after the uh situation of seeing everything with the pandemic and it's like obviously this is kind of you know fix everything with a virus but i did notice that a lot of we are a medically illiterate society and Very so true. i want to see like how can something like it's very difficult to get more doctors, but it's not so difficult to get as many people as possible to be certified at DC, uh, sorry, CPR. And so, you know, if you get something like that, then maybe the doctor problem sort of sorts itself out. Because if you introduce all these people to bare basic medical components, then maybe you have a greater share of people who then take it further and get more medical training on their own. And I would also say, and it's almost like what you're doing to me, man. So like your knowledge politically inspires me to just be more educated in case I next time I conversate with you. Like I don't want to be a dumbass, right? <laughs> no, seriously, right? So if I learn about this CPR, maybe now all of a sudden I'm like, well, you know what? My health isn't the best Maybe I need to take care of myself in a better way. Now, all of a sudden, I'm into my diet. Now, all of a sudden, I'm into my exercise. Now, all of a sudden, I have less pre-existing conditions because going for CPR certification has opened my eyes to different medical journals, literature, information, websites, where I've learned things that make my life better and I need doctors less, not because I'm helping lives, but because I've changed my own life based on that. That, that That's, that's kind of how... That, that's kind of how like I have been over the past year. Like I went from the only medical experience I really had was when I was a volunteer in Afghanistan at the clinic to now I have, you know, worked in hospital here. I, you know, I have treated COVID patients. I have treated people with like diabetes and, you right. know, I, I've had people die in my hands. It, it sucks. But at the same time, I, I've learned. Yeah. And this has kind of made me focus a lot on my own health and the health of people around me, but also that I think that's one of our biggest crooks in society is we have this massive amount of healthcare spending we've got going on. We have a shortage of medical personnel. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, you know, we are a society that is reliant on pills and Uh on, uh, like, look at how much, uh, resources go to just a select few amount of people who are either extremely old or extremely unhealthy. And if we, if we tackle things at the root cause of the problem, then the problem sort of sorts itself out or the solutions we come up with will be easy enough to administer. And so, because you lessen the scale. Well, yeah. And so it's like free healthcare wouldn't be so bad if everyone were relatively healthy. 100%. 100%. Do Yeah, right? Like that's, yeah. that, that's a huge thing where like maybe we don't need free healthcare. Maybe we need free gym memberships and incentives. You so like you get a, you get a, 
you get 1200 Biden bucks just for being an American citizen. But if you pass a fitness test at your local gym, you get 2000 Biden bucks, you know, like, I mean, like just some basic metrics of, can you run a 10 minute mile or whatever your BMI, whatever basic metrics will help you to have less heart disease, diabetes, put you at less risk. That'd be a fucking awesome incentive to be like, you know what? I'm going to grab my $200 check this month by making sure I hit my steps, by making sure my weight is in proportion to my height. So uh, there was like an alternate um, 2016 I came up with during the pandemic where it's like, <laughs> um, imagine, imagine, no, imagine, imagine the uh, constitution got amended before the 2016 election to get rid of the citizenship required or the natural born citizenship requirement in the constitution. And it's like, instead of President Donald, we had President Arnold during the pandemic. <laughs> and you would have seen everything go way different. And it's like, no, everyone would have gotten a free gym membership. Everyone would have veggies been, like, to your door. No doubt. Dude, everyone- we're, we're paying grocery stores to make sure you have fresh produce and grass fed mm-hmm. beef right there for you. And then it's like, you know, it's like when the president does something goofy, it's like legitimately goofy and he just does something like a movie line or something like that. It's like, it's like, it, it, it's not guaranteeing that it would have been a good presidency, but it's like, that would have been an amazing presidency. It, it might've got people through. Dude, that's, <laughs> that's super, that, that's a super interesting thing. It's always oh, curious oh, when people, if, oh, no, if, that, if, that, if that requirement were not there, there's no doubt in my mind he would have been president. Think so, huh? Arnold. Well, well, well he, he was a governor. Yeah. He was extremely wealthy, extremely influential, one of the biggest actors of the past 50 years. You I, have, do, dude, do you, you remember his COVID head? video where he pulls up his little like pony horse and he's eating carrots and staying inside with him? Something like that. And he's yeah. like quarantine with your buddies and eat well. That's a good point, dude. That's a very solid point. And, and that's kind of the whole thing. Like, I, I feel like the pandemic, like the very first few weeks of the pandemic, I think we were like, you, you kind of saw like this nine twelve sort of format where like the whole country was unified and yeah. you know, we're all like, we're getting, we're all going to get through this together. And then like, afterwards, Dude, we were like, getting, it was like kids with snow days. Everybody's like, fuck yeah. man, I get two weeks off from work. Awesome. Hell yeah. Because everyone thought it was just going to be like two weeks and that was it. And then it's like, it just went on and on and on. And like nowadays you see these governors like uh, uplifting these restrictions and stuff. And it's like, you think people have been following those the past few weeks? Dude, Delaware, (laughs) Delaware's governor, Delaware's governor just, and this was awesome speaking with um, people who were running against him. Um, Delaware's governor just lifted the state of emergency. Well, not just lifted. It. It's scheduled to lift the state of emergency July 13th. July 13th. Think about that. I, I believe that's 17 months. This dude for every 30 days has rolled over a state of emergency to maintain uh-huh. the sole authority. It, it's a dictatorship because if he wants it during the way the legislation is written, if, it, if there is a state of emergency, what he puts out cannot be overturned. Legislation yeah. has no recourse because there is an emergency going on. And you're like, dude, our number has been down for fucking six months. What are we talking about? Why, why are we here? And I don't, I don't know. It's, it's that, it's a whole sidebar. Um, but well, and the, yeah, it, that's the whole thing. It's like, you, the, like, I, it's, it's understandable. Like you, you saw like New York city at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh yeah, dude, it, that it, was it, an emergency. It was, it was frightening. Yeah, yeah. It was frightening. Yeah. But then it's like, you look at like right now, it's like, there's no emergency. 
the the rates are almost non-existent. Most people are vaccinated. Like, end this stuff right now. Otherwise, it's it's going to have a negative effect down the way. Because for me, one of the benefits I wanted from the pandemic was I wanted us as a society to adopt the East Asian uh, tradition or or aspects of when it's that time of year, like when it's flu season, or if you've got a cold, everyone should wear, or like people should voluntarily wear a mask. Mm. And I think that that was a great thing. The problem I see is because of the mandates, because of these laws, I think people have mask fatigue. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That once they no longer have to wear it, they're going to burn it and they're never going to wear one ever again. It would be a sign of retreat and weakness, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, and that's the funny thing is the mandates didn't happen until the rates were really low. Yeah, because it was a lag, man. It, it, but that's yeah. just government's inefficiency to either predict or implement in a timely manner. Yeah. Like, that's what and it comes so, down to. It, it's kind of funny how it is now. It's like, you know, there's... But, I, but at the same time, it, doesn't that go towards... And God, we've drifted off because I wanted to um, focus <laughs> on your 2020, but whatever. Um, but doesn't that go towards the sign of a strong republic if different sections are able to kind of make their own rules. Isn't that ideally what the founding fathers had in mind? Oh, I have no, I have no problem with like the states and localities making the rules in, in this sort of thing. Yeah. Like it mask, no less, mask. It, 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 it was more or less just not logical in that perspective. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I, so I'm a PPE sort of expert because I'm, I'm going into the design of PPE. <laughs> And oh, so, are you really? Uh, yeah. So this is actually way before the pandemic. Yes. Um, so my whole thing is I'm trying to find ways to improve turnout gear for firefighters, as well as things like armor and try and like reinvent certain things. And the masking definitely got me interested in, you know, how to make better masks, that sort of thing. Um, at the very start of the pandemic, I bought a 3D printer and I started printing out uh, 3D masks. So I made, I think at least like, 70 or 80 of them over the course of the year and i gave them to the fire department i gave them to guys i worked with in the military i gave them to certain friends and family members what's that sort the of thing. fabric so like a 3d printer to make oh, ppe so, so it's it's a plastic mask um i don't have one with me is it like a shield but, well listeners um, wouldn't be able to see it anyway right yeah so right. uh it's it, it basically it looks like the bane mask oh and so it's 3d printed and there's three components. There's the main shell piece. There's an over piece uh, on the front. And then there's like a little square um, filter con- uh, containment area. And basically, it's all 3D printed uh, plastic. And then there's a, little, uh, there's a little opening area in the middle. You put some fabric there. That's your filter. And then I have... Uh, Not like a specialized some... fabric? Just like cut up a t-shirt no, I, for simplicity's sake? I, I use shop towels. Uh, that's all gotcha. I, I double up the shop tower and it, and it works exactly like a uh, medical mask. Oh. And so I have like this little rubber gasket I put around the edge and some elastic um, uh, um, ear, ear or uh, elastic pieces I, I put for around the head and it works like exactly like a mask. And the total cost of it, when you factor in all of the uh, all the materials, is only about two bucks. Did you actually um, design it, or did you find this I did not. design? I, was it I, like open source? A, a friend of mine gave me the open source um, stuff, 
and I printed it off like from there. And so, yeah, and the biggest problem was just the length of time it took to print them. It took it took about ten hours. Oh shit! Yeah. It's just study but, but at the same time, with three D printing, it's like you know you start it up and boom. You know, as long as nothing screwed up on it, I had a few hiccups on the three D printer. But other than that, you know, once it started. I could go do other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so it's like it's like your own personal little factory. It's a crock pot, man. Yeah, it, 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 and that's kind of what I would like to see more of that in the future too. I want to see decentralized uh, abilities of people doing more and more stuff on their own. Yeah, that's and, funny, man. Like three D printing could be a modern day garden. Oh yeah, and, and you know the, the cooler part is like imagine if you got communities together. And, you know, it's like, imagine if you put together, like, 10 3D printers, you can put together, like, a neighborhood uh, factory, essentially, producing whatever the community needed. Whatever the need was. That's a great, yeah. that's a very interesting point. And uh, you, you have stuff like that, all these amazing components. Um, you know, one of my big pet peeves is something like uh, the war on drugs and how, so, one of the main components people look at is legalization of marijuana. And it's like, I, well, that's all fine and good. And I want people who are, you know, want to uh, relax with their own recreational drug use. So they should be able to do so. I'm not looking at it from that point of view, though. I'm looking at it through the industrial and the medicinal and the legal standpoints on a lot of this stuff. I don't want people to be incarcerated for unnecessary reasons. And we, we put in a lot of people, predominantly black and brown, into this system that are should not be there. It's a moneymaker, man. It's just yeah, a fucking yeah. money grab. Uh, aside from the systematic racial Jim Crow, keep people down thing, the system is so fucking money hungry and quota dependent mm -hmm. that either funds need to be given to them in a different way so that they can then spend an upgrade or the law needs to be abolished. And, and then there's the practice of uh, like how hemp can uh, revolutionize things in the industrial capacity, it's like things strong. like hempcrete, uh, the production of paper. I have a can over here that is uh, hemp-powered uh, formula for cryotherapy, and so essentially it's cryotherapy in a can. So it's like you know, spray on, it's like icy hot, but uh, essentially okay. it heals you up pretty well. And then there's the application of CBD oils, yeah, the, CBD. Uh, how, how THC can affect uh, things with uh, PTSD or through. Um, people who suffer through certain medical ailments and it's like our restriction in not uh, administering these uh, like these drugs it's almost like we handicap our entire civilization dude you're you're inhibiting innovation so in yes. Delaware in Delaware they're trying to legalize pot and two things kind of piss me off about this number one they're gonna limit the licenses which I hate if if oh, I yeah. if, if I want to grow, it's a racket. If I want to grow my own pot and fucking set up a little yard sale, if I want to grow my own cucumbers and sell them on the side of the road, I can do that. But I can't do that for pot. That's kind of fucked up. Number well, two, they, they, yeah. Well, number Sorry. two, I'm not allowed to grow at home. So what I have to do is go to the limited government-approved licensed mm -hmm. stores, which are probably friends of a friend or whatever, the lobbyists that have contributed to your campaign that you've advocated to get these licenses. And I got to go buy pot from them in an anti-competitive market when it's a fucking weed. 
Do you know how easy weeds grow? My, my grass is full of weeds right now. I might not cut it if there was a bunch of pot plants in it, right? Like, <laughs> like it, it, it's so anti-American to me on top of the fact that if I want to make my own beer at home, ain't nobody stopping me. I can buy a kit. I can't buy a pot kit. I can't buy seeds and a sun lamp and whatever else I would need. Like I, I can't buy that as a kit, but I could buy my own make your own beer kit. And I'm like, it's such a fucked up legislative. It, I, I don't know how to end it other than like, it just seems so wrong and obviously wrong. And I can't believe there's more of an, not more of an outcry against that sort of like limited approval of pot. Well, the funny thing is, is that, you know, it's also, you mentioned that about like growing it at your own home and stuff. And it's like, doesn't that kind of stem back to our agricultural roots as well? It's yeah. like, we should, you know, first and foremost, I'm anti-lawn, essentially. I I think that I want, and the pandemic really kind of should have woke people up to this too. It's like, what did we do during World War II? People grew their own food. People had the victory gardens. And it's like, you know what? Grow your own pie. Grow your own food. Grow your stuff. Now, mind you, I'm not saying give up everything and become a farmer. And yeah, I'm not have saying, your you own know, chickens, be, be, have be, cattle be, be, in the front yeah. yard. And, 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 you know, you're not going to grow enough tomatoes to satisfy you for a whole year in your, excuse me, in your property. But I am saying it's like, why aren't people utilizing their own gardening or agricultural, you know, roots to their advantage? Yeah. Cause it's, it's calming. It gets you in touch with nature and it sort of gives you more or less like you created this. Yeah, but then I can't watch five seasons or three seasons of Ozark and binge. I got to get out there. I got to hoe. Fucking ask me to fertilize. Come on, man. Oh, I got I got a treat then for you. This is going to be the future too. What's that? I got these. Upside down tomato plant? Z- no. Um, Zuix? How do you say that? Zuix. Okay. Let me open these up for you. I'm not going to turn them on. Um, I do have a little bit of a problem with them at the moment, so I'm trying to get the technical specs figured out on them. Um, but this, I will show you, is a little bit of the future. six. Stop, dude. Like, are those a fucking screen on your eyes so you can watch TV and do shit? Yep. So, yeah. Stop! So it's, just over the, it's just over the right eye. Um, Stop! This is, this is the future. And uh, they will be coming out with new pair of glasses later on this year uh, that actually look even more like normal glasses. Uh, so wait, give me – don't let me speak because I have not heard of them. Is that literally like they're connected to some sort of Wi-Fi or some sort of data yes. signal? So, so they, they have Wi-Fi capabilities, but usually what I, what I do is I just have them Bluetooth connected to my phone. And um, with that – the, uh, I want to say, um, that's some cyb- so, cyborg shit, like, like so, Terminator so, so, going back to Arnold. Yes. So what they do is they, um, they sync up with your phone. There's an app on your phone for the glasses. And within that app, you can download other apps that coincide with the Android function on the, um, on the glasses. And so you can get like YouTube. You can get like Google Maps. You can there's um there's a uh, PDF reader, so uh, essentially you can put these on and you can like read a speech in front of people without it looking down. Yeah, it's the teleprompter. 
Yeah, essentially, yeah, you have a telephone yeah. over your so eye. So basically, when you were going through the presidents, you had a View 6 contact lens in that was giving you all that information. That's how you did it, you sneaky fuck. I knew it! I knew it! <laughs> oh, if I had that technology, I would. Dude, that would be next level, right? right like, contact lens would be the next level. That's insane. That's probably going to be like 20 years down the line or at the minimum 10. But uh, I can guarantee you the glasses are going to be the same way we treat smartwatches within the next two to three years. So how good is the pair that you have? They're pretty good. Um, I'm dealing with just like a personal technical function with a problem with them. But overarchingly, uh, the company is very good. Um, they, uh, the glasses aren't too terrible. They're about $800. Uh, I know it's expensive, but cheaper than they an iPhone. Eight, they, well, they were 1800 at one point in time and the cost has come down. The new ones, when they come out, I'm sure they'll be expensive, but over time they'll come down in price. And, yeah. uh, you know, like this is the future. I mean, like, and, and logically speaking, you know, you're, you're, you're still going to have your phone, but these these essentially will be the next step. I the mean, phone's going to be a router so they can figure yeah. out how to get the phone into the armband and have you manipulate and function it, which may be your voice control or mind control, where like neural links. They, they, they do have voice control for them, yes. Yeah. And on these ones, you tap on the side to control certain things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, that that's pretty much the the way the glasses function. But yeah. dude, if you can so, if you can hook up and if an Apple Watch can tell so much about your health through your pulse and sensations, how long till they're able to determine your thoughts send out some sort of vibration through your mind? And it's almost <laughs> like a um braille, but like a vibration braille of your mind in order to well, control a phone. And that's kind of how we can go back to maybe a, some form of telepathy in the future too. It's yeah, just, right. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a believer in extrasensory perception to the to a degree of not in the sense of like a X Men style sort of format, but rather that humans have capabilities beyond their known resources. But it's become so much of a taboo, or it, like we're just not really invested in things like that because either a society doesn't like it, or b we've cut off our connection from things in the past because. I've become very enthralled with ancient cultures and ancient civilizations to the point of we are not as superior as we think we are today. You're wrong, but God, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, well, well, I, I look at it from the point of view of like you look at ancient structures; oh, they yeah. have lasted for thousands and thousands of years, and yet our roads can't even last a decade. That's a great point. And, and I, you know, it really makes you wonder. It's like all of our intelligence, all of our cooperation, all of our abilities to invest these resources, and yet we fail at what the ancients were able to do so long ago. And that, mind you, I'm not a subscriber to ancient aliens. I'm not into that sort of thing. I, I think humans built all this stuff, but it, the problem is that they had techniques and technologies we can't comprehend. I, I want to say and, it was probably more quality of material versus capitalistic desire, right? Don't you think? Like, isn't it, aren't we all about profit now? So we try to grab margins wherever we can versus back then you were the only dude in town that would make something. So it had well, well, to I, be I, a I, great quality. 
I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, ancient civilizations thousands of years ago. I'm talking about like stonework. I'm talking about stuff that had to have been done by hundreds of people. But the problem is like they're able to move these massive structures, fit them into place perfectly, that they, you know, are in perfect connection. They are astron- sorry, astronomically aligned. And, and those temples in Mexico are nuts. Have you ever, and I can't remember I, the temple. Have you, and dude, I'm so sorry to cut you off, man. But uh, like, quick yeah. Say again? The quick swaddle. Is that the one where the snake goes up into the temple as the sun goes yeah, down? Yes, I believe so, yes. Or yeah. ch- 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 Chitza. Chitza Nitsa? Yeah. All right. I, I, I'm not good on the pronunciation, yeah. But. Okay, yeah, dude, like that thing to figure that out, again, as an example, is it, it's next level. And it's still well, well, on, um, on Monday, I'm actually going to, uh, so I've been going there the last two years, but I go to a place that's only five hours away. It's in Southern Ohio and it's called uh, Serpent Mound. And it's a uh, site in Ohio built by Native Americans. Uh, some people say it's only 800 years old. Other people say it's over like 2000 years old. And it's a burial mound that is, or, um, in the shape of a snake oh, and and it's like 1300 feet long and it winds uh through this like little plateau overlooking a creek and it's in the middle of an impact crater and the head of it points directly toward the setting sun on the summer solstice wow mm-hmm. and so there's like this big you know um solstice festival that happens there and it's just a phenomenal place to go and visit now why do you go there because you can just admire i shouldn't even put conditions on why but like in my head i'm like because you're just such an admirer of it or do you actually like spiritually connect with some part of that i try to spiritually connect with some things of it um i've been to a few places where i felt the spiritual connection um one was the river jordan uh, another was the Grand Mosque in Abu Dhabi. Uh, I do feel there are certain places where you you can kind of feel, and it could just be like a placebo effect where your your mind just sort of makes you believe into this sort of thing. But I have felt something overcome me at these sites. Like there's some type of human uh, connectivity toward it that is stronger than just my singular singular self. Cause you do seem like hella AI where you're just a robotic processor, man. I don't believe you have emotions. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just, dude, I get, I'm just blown away um, by your accuracy and intelligence. And to emphasize the point, I was Googling the congressman um, or the Congress people and like you were right. It's 20%. I think it was 93 in the 117th Congress, which out of 450 some would be about 20%. Like the fact that you just, yeah are able to spitball that shit, man, is amazing, which is interesting that you also try to balance it with this like spiritual connection. And I'm curious, what is, what, what goes through your mind or what is when you're connected spiritually, what does that feel like? This is a sense of energy through some type of psychokinetic format. And I, I feel like, you know, it's almost like the earth is humming toward me and it's just kind of like I can sort of connect with nature itself and that the, the earth is a part of us, but it's also bigger than any one person. And thus like how, 
basically my whole philosophy is that of balance. You know, you, you can look at it through the Taoist form of yin and yang, but it, it, to me, it's more or less, it, it also helps that I was born in Libra. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> the astrology uh, but, but, uh, no, no it, it comes down to, it's like, I'm, I try and find how the individual can play their role in the collective, but so much as that the collective does not overpower the individual, how, mm. uh, you know, how we must act as a community, but we also have to understand that most of that comes from self-interest, you know, that there is no good in the world without evil. Therefore, you know, you have to find that balance. You know, it's not to sit there and say, be 50, 50. It's not to sit there and say that you're infinitely good or infinitely bad, but rather that you as a human being are capable of great good and great evil, both capable uh, capacities. And so, I look at it from that point of view in which, to me, my favorite person in history is Alexander the Great. And I sit there from that point of view of, well, technically speaking, well, he's a pretty terrible guy when you really think about it. He tortured a lot of people. He was extremely egocentric. I mean, for, for, like, for how many cities he named after himself. Uh, he, and he, you know, kind of screwed over his own troops by marching them through the desert as kind of like punishment for not going further with his own personal conquest. But at the same point in time, I'm also looking at him from the point of view of look at how much culture he spread. Look at how much he tried to unify of the known world. And that if given the chance for a longer life, this could have been the person to unify the, all the tribes of humanity into a singular civilization. And, and uh, like, just, Hey, Everything is basically forgiven of him just for creating the city of Alexandria, Egypt, because this was the pinnacle of human achievement when the library came into being. And so from this, just that point of view, I view that him as what could have been probably the point of time of returning humanity to the antediluvian world. You just said anti-what world? Anti, uh, sorry, antediluvian world. Uh, so basically, yeah. Uh, the, the fact that you just put that world. into a sentence, like I would be, oh, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so the world, the world before the flood. Um, so you know, essentially, oh. every culture has a flood, and so the more gotcha. and more I decipher that, the more and more I come to the belief of. I, I totally believe in the world of Atlantis. That you know, like we had a global civilization, uh, almost twelve thousand years ago, just simply from that format of everything got wiped out in the flood. And it's, it's not like it's not like all land got covered in a flood, but rather just like all the coastal cities got flooded. And the civilization got wiped out. Dude, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Um, like, the, I, I love the fact that you can just throw those sorts of terms in casually. It really <laughs> speaks to you. I, I wanted to ask, and I didn't really get into any of the specifics about two things stand out to me. Number one, again, the governor thing. I want to find out more like exactly the seriousness, like your way to get your name out there. And two, like this Sonic the Hedgehog is infatuation too strong of a word? Obsession? Love? What, what do you mean by that? I was just going through your IG and like you have this picture oh, oh. with Sonic the Hedgehog, like some mascot. And I wanted to know, and I, you had mentioned the Sonic the Hedgehog song, right? Actually, I'll 
I'll even say that. <laughs> yeah. Sure then when I saw the shirt, I so, was like, oh, dude, I got to bring up Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> so there's a couple of reasons for that. So uh, under a technical terminology, yeah, um, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog came out the same year I was born. And so I kind of treat it like sort of a cultural mascot sort of thing. And actually in a couple of days is the 30th anniversary of Sonic. Um, and so the reason I adopted it also is because from like the attitude and the you know energy and that sort of thing, um, I, I kind of feel like the the franchise as a whole is really messed up sort of format. But it, I kind of feel it's like an inspiring and uh, uplifting sort of cultural touchstone in in society. You know, it's yeah, people look at it as just like a video game. It's like first and foremost, the actual franchise is comics cartoons it's got the successful movie now um he's kind of like a mascot now not just for the you know company sega but also kind of just for like a lot of things and going beyond the character it's more or less just sort of that that sort of feel like like anyone can really kind of adopt the up uh sorry the uplifting or positive attitude that him and the other characters kind of possess yeah, so I'm completely unfamiliar with the culture except for the video game, right? Like the original <laughs> so, video game, I think there was a yeah. I, I lost it when there was. I know they have different editions. When like he had some friend that was in red, if I'm remembering that right. Yeah, so that's Knuckles. That's when I was out. I yeah, like so, I okay, yeah. played the original Sonic. It was cool. You go around the loops. You get a bunch of gold rings. Yay! Let's race. And then I just lost interest. So you're gonna have to um help me understand. <laughs> The attitude. I didn't see Sonic as a positive person when I played video games. <laughs> so, so this this goes down beyond you know, like the video games. This is more or less you know you gotta watch like cartoons and stuff and uh, read the comics and that sort of thing. And you realize you know it's like him going up against Doctor Robotnik is he's a freedom fighter, and so that kind of gives more or less on my my libertarian sides of view of being anti-authoritarian and you know. Um, he, he, you know, is trying to restore whatever land he's a part of, because that's all different. But uh, <laughs> essentially, it's always against sort of the mechanization of the environment. So it's like returning the environment back to its natural oh. state. So, uh, and that's kind of, that's kind of where like I've, I've hit like a huge bump with several of my conservative beliefs because, in you know, well, because I view a lot of terminology and words and politics as being bastardized to a point and i think being conservative is part of that and like for me being conservative means actually to conserve things and so i try to come from things as like an environmental sustainist yeah right so you don't think that because when you say conservative you immediately go to free market no regulation cut down all the trees make all the paper you want put all the coal in the air like the water doesn't matter open up another chicken plant yeah, and, and to me, I'm always picking up trash outside, or I drive a hybrid. You know, it's it's <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I don't like this notion that you have to, in order to have you know like these traditional conservative beliefs that you 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 have to basically worship at the altar of big oil, drive a huge pickup truck, you know, burning or rolling coal and doing you know, kind of stupid stuff like that. And I'm like, no, 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 we we gotta take care of the planet now. And, and I'm actually a huge advocate for like, things like green energy, but I'm also uh, one of the people that pushes back against the um, progressive agenda because I'm 
one of my biggest components is I'm not for the Green New Deal because they they literally hate nuclear energy. And I think look that there's your there's your saving grace right there is nuclear power. So I and I'm gonna almost I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say you're probably more well read on nuclear power than I am. But <laughs> the basic talking point that I understand from hearing is the absolute cleanest. Like the 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 um it produces steam basically, right? It produces heat. Pretty much, yeah. And that that's it that's it. Now if you can contain it, stabilizing it's the thing, right? When it becomes unstable, yes. if you have like an old ass meter that somebody who's supposed to be checking doesn't check, doesn't upgrade, now or some regulator goes off, now you're in total disaster and the radius is not worth that's what the ultimate argument is. The radius of possible damage is not worth the benefit of steam coming off and self-sustaining energy. And that's very important. I think ultimately society really does need to kind of push for that notion of you don't just simply adopt something because it is good. And, and trust me, there is a lot of pushback against nuclear power. And I welcome people to have that discussion. But at the end <laughs> of the day, there's only three incidents in mind that even that even happened in the history of nuclear power. Three Mile Island in 1979, Chernobyl in 1986, Fukushima in 2011. Fukushima is entirely blamed on nature because of the extreme rarity that an earthquake and tsunami happened at the exact position of and where a nuclear power plant was. So it was really kind of on the Japanese for building the plant there. But oh, aside from that, like you then have Three Mile Island, which was entirely contained and nothing of significance even even happened. You can fly straight over the nuclear power plant when you go to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania today. Uh, as as I've done uh, a few times in my life, um, and then the issue with Chernobyl, and I don't know if you ever watched the HBO miniseries. I got scared, man, because I, I was just I was in a dark point in my life, and I was like, "Is this going to be too dramatized, or is this going to make me want to read four or five books to see if they accurately portrayed it?" And I just well, didn't want to invest the time, to be honest with you. I, I mean, on the plus side, it was it was immediately after the horrendous end to Game of Thrones. So I think that's what kept people on HBO for a few more weeks. Gosh, yeah, right. Yeah, that, Game of Thrones. The endings are so hard. Sopranos, Game of Thrones, like HBO does not have a good ending. Although I don't know what would be a good ending. Like Breaking Bad's ending, kind of so, decent, but like, ah. Uh... So I'm going to get back to the nuclear power and the uh, Sonic in a minute, but I want to deviate on that. And um, so actually, I will say this. One of the big saving graces I've seen in uh, in popular culture is when you have uh, something like that, where you um, the ending of Game of Thrones. I came in Game of Thrones pretty late in the game. Like I came in about between like season six and season seven. My family was obsessed with it. Okay. I'm like, I don't want to get too caught up in this show. And I knew what would happen. It did end up happening is I became obsessive with it. I'm like, oh my god, this is the most amazing show ever. Yeah. And then when it ended the way it did, I'm kind of thinking. This is so horrible, but it it, it, came, it came from the sense of right. It's it's that it, none of it thematically made any sense. The characters were out of whack and things like that. But, but, but the saving grace I wanted to get to was I've seen on like YouTube and stuff people's true creativity take over, and I've seen dozens of people have rewritten that ending. Oh no! And, shit. And well, well, here's the funny thing. Some of them go like extremely in depth and they like rewrite the last few seasons and they, like it work. It really like is really amazing. But I'm more like 
uh, I'm more amazed with people that literally take what is there, like that final season, the six episodes and stuff, and like the same exact story, mm-hmm. and they just make it make sense. And it's like, okay, I still don't like the way it ended, but this would have been way better than what like the millions of dollars spent on it was. And literally every single one of them ended up better. <laughs> so, so what I like is the creativity format of people. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that's the cool thing about social media and platforms now is you can get your stuff out there just by attaching to some other brand and maybe you get noticed. And like, if you're an aspiring writer, that's their resume, right? Like that's their portfolio. If that's what they're hoping to do for a career, that could be their launching point. So people spend all sorts of time, energy, and effort into making just a video that might not mean anything, but then at the same point, like gets viewed by whatever, hundreds, thousands, millions of people. I did not know that that was a thing. See, I'm such not like a YouTube just peruse guy. Maybe I need to be. So I kind of like, um, I sort of absorb a lot of this stuff because I will listen to uh, YouTube at 2x speed. And so I just kind of like, take in videos all the time and and i'm treating it more in through an audio format rather than a visual so okay. unless i need to see it i kind of just treat it like it's a podcast interesting and you just mm-hmm. do that as your mind just needs that kind of stimulation or you just process yes. that quick and it's kind of a combination of both a perfect recall in the sense of like i'm not uh bradley cooper's character in limitless but um uh, Oh man, you're fading a little, your audio is a little in and out. Oh, you cut off right after. Yeah. It was just like a glitch. You cut off after limitless. I got a little bit of limitless. Oh, oh, uh, so I, I take, uh, these substances called nootropics, which do help a little bit in, uh, brain cognitive function and proper body management and uh, maintenance. And so it really helps. Um, nootropics. How do you do it? You know so much more than me, or you just experience and live life so much better than me. Um, what is, what is that? So, uh, basically it is kind of like the polar opposite of the psychotropic drugs that are prescribed by doctors and, uh, and kind of like addict people on the big pharma, that sort of thing. Okay. What they do is they take basically natural, uh, components and, combine them into certain concoctions and stuff and it's it just enhances you to a point um the most uh uh, abundant and um used one which is pretty much used by a a vast majority of people unknowingly is straight up caffeine that technically is a nootropic but but a lot of people don't really use caffeine caffeine they kind of utilize whatever caffeine's in not really typically caffeine as it uh, naturally occurs. But the other ones I've you know seen are things like uh, phenylparacetam and uh, um, a few other things. I, I take a special formula that is extremely expensive on the market. It's called Qualia by the company Neurohacker. And this is a part of a, um, a community called the biohacking community. And what they do is they try to, like computer hackers, they try to manipulate the human body to their advantage. And so there are people who try to manipulate things regarding their sleep cycle, 
their um, nutrition and diet, their uh, ability to function and stuff. And, and realistically, when you, when you look at the people in these communities, you will find people basically living their life to their fullest. You, you will find, and, and this is not to shame anyone in any regard, but me, like everyone I think is, when you say not is, to shame anyone, you mean not to shame you, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, so what I what I mean is, like, you you see these people and they're like they're 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 pretty fit. They are always advocating to learn more. They are basically always productive. Like, you know, you never see them post things regarding like, you know, I sat and watched TV for seventeen hours in a row. No, it's like the and you know what, or I drank, you know. A dozen uh, cans of beer last night, and, you know, or I did drugs or something. It's like, no, you, you see them play. They're going out on long runs. They are, you know, showing casing their big stack of books they just read, or you know, they're advocating for their new um, business that they just started on the side. And and it's not to say that you have to have these specific goals and stuff, but I do think these things do help these new tropics and. It's kind of a combination of things. It's having a supplement like that, but you also, you got to have the drive. Because I, I will say I have actually had a couple of days where I have taken them, but I didn't do anything. And then I felt bad about it afterwards. And I, I'm kind of like under this sort of mental drive that I have to get something done that benefits me to some regard. So you have to, you wake up and you're just like checklist right away and you're not feeling like you've done yourself justice if you don't knock a couple things off? It's not so much checklist. Like I will actually do once in a while, like a checklist. I'll be like, okay, should I get this stuff done today? And it's like, hey, it's a lot, most days I never get that done. But, uh, you know, it's having that and having that kind of goals. And then if I can just chip away at it one bit at a time, um, when I went and did the uh, the trip uh, I told you about before, um, and I went to Ben Franklin's house, you know, I saw the, the quote that he has, and it's, uh, when I wake up in the morning, I ask myself, what good can I do today? And when I go to bed, uh, I ask myself, what good have I done today? And I kind of think, like, that's how you treat each day. You know, you, you're only given so much time, whether it be, you know, however you want to uh, see it as 24 hours in a day, or 1,440 minutes, or 86,400 seconds. You have a limited amount of time per day in that cycle, and you got to be the one to determine what you want to do with it. And I just think how many countless years of people's lives that they waste in an inefficient format. And this isn't to say, you know, if, if you're lazing around, that's not, that's not the issue. Because you're choosing to be leisurely, you're choosing recreation, you're choosing uh, your, uh, um, it's your choice to do with your free time. I'm mostly talking about, though, just how many people have dealt with hours and hours on end at work just wasting time, or people stuck in commutes wasting time, or uh, being, or look at all the time spent in school for kids that kind of did nothing for them. So true. <laughs> so true. I, that's no offense to you. I know. I know that's in it's your, okay, your, man. Your I brought you on to shame me. That's what I was hoping for. A new career choice. Uh, now, dude, I, but, I, I completely agree with you as far as schools go. It's something I battle as, um, <clears throat> as a teacher is 
they're so driven by performance because performance, in order to deem your effectiveness, needs a metric. The metric is a test. There are funds that are connected with your results to that test. Therefore, it's almost a, I don't know if it's a fait accompli, if I'm even using that right, but basically like you're forced to teach to this test. Now, if the test is standards-based and the community has agreed, hey, everyone should be able to write an essay this way. So now we grade your essay. Can you have these parts of an essay that you should at this age? That's not a bad thing. Hey, can you read this text and understand if there's any bias? Identify the bias. Identify main mm -hmm. ideas. Determine details that support or actually take away from the author's viewpoint or argument. Like those are good skills to have, but what it means is because it's a metric that is graded quickly, it is typically multiple choice and it is n there is little emphasis on creative risk, more emphasis on assurity correctness, predictable outcomes, and that you want compliance. And I've always heard that the whole reason we have public schools is because we wanted factory workers for the industrial revolution in like the twenties. Yeah. And right. Like, and you saying, yes, now I will say that's a fact for the rest of my life. If you confirm it, <laughs> but like it yeah. schools aren't. And I think that's why like these charter schools or even homeschools and educational alternatives that people of means send their kids to where your kids get to explore their interests is kind of nice because I think it would limit a lot of anxiety that kids deal with because so many kids constantly, again, have to write that essay. And for five years, you've been trying to write this essay and you keep failing this test because you can't figure out an essay. So what do we do? We give you more essay help and more essays classes and more essay. And we take away from the other things you enjoy. Like, no wonder they feel like shit. No wonder they feel dumb. No wonder they don't like school because they haven't had success. Where if they got to rewrite Game of Thrones instead of follow yeah. this like weird, rigid rubric of you must have your topic within these two sentences kind of a thing, they'd be extremely happy. And they'd be ex their, their anxiety would go low. Their self-esteem would go up. And I look at that and I don't know how to make that right. Because I think you should have standards. There are some basics. You want illiterate, identifying basic functions of math, reading, and writing. I, I, I think that's pretty important for a society. But at the same time, it is limiting because funds are tied to performance, which is measured by this one metric. You should definitely have a minimum standard in the necessary components in society. And by that, I mean, yes, you want a society that can read. You know, in, in America, everyone should be able to read in the English language and understand and comprehend be able to communicate that properly should be able to understand basic arithmetic in the form of you know, you, you got to know how to add subtract multiply uh, divide and do i would say basic algebra i think yeah. we in in this attempt it, it, it's extremely weird it's almost like it's a, a self-defeating narrative but in the attempt in high school to push kids into higher math we inadvertently push those kids away from STEM career fields in the future. 100%. Because and not only STEM um, careers, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, not only STEM careers, oh yeah. um, but someone um, wants to be a truck driver or work on an oil mm -hmm. rig. Like they don't equate my college prep classes with me going out and being a geothermal 
like digging wells. <laughs> like like they, they don't see the connection because we've done a piss poor job of helping them to understand those vocations. Even being a heating and air guy or a plumber, those are super valuable oh, yeah. society need jobs. That's what makes a society clean and thrive is having all these vocations. And instead it's like, nah, man, we want you to get 150 grand worth of debt to be a political major, to, 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 yeah, and, to be an English major. And you're like, why? And uh, so, so I'm actually going to jump on that with uh, my educational um, background in a second regarding that. Oh, one, one last thing I wanted to say, um, <laughs> but going back to the very beginning about the Sonic situation. So <laughs> the, the, I know I hate to circle back all the way. No, that, it's fine. One thing, one thing I want to mention with that is uh, you see, I have the Sonic plushie with me. So I take him and during runs, like uh, public runs and stuff, okay. so whether it be five days or uh, when I did uh, my first marathon back in 2019, I would wear him on my back, he's facing people, and I would have a sign with me that says, if you pass me, give Sonic a high five. Oh. And the goal is, I want people to run faster than me, and when they do so, they can slap my back and stuff, and the goal is, I call it a morale speed boost. No that, you know, you're, you're, seeing, you're seeing this goofy guy with the supposed fastest thing alive on his back, <laughs> and you're now faster than that. You got the race. No doubt. Dude, that's very cool. And that's part of, so I'm a runner. I, I guess I'll call myself a runner. My daughter runs. We ran a Father's Day 5K um, this past Sunday uh, together. Oh, and, awesome. Yeah. And it, um, it, it's amazing how even from her, there'll be a person in front of her and like she talks about it. She's like, oh, I want to catch him. And especially mm -hmm. if like they're older people or, you know, you start running, you know, your pace. My daughter oh, yeah. is still setting PRs every race because she's 11 and she's shaving whatever, 10, 15. She's always getting faster. Me, maybe you, like you kind of plateau unless you go real, real serious with your training, diet, sleep and all that. I'm like, I'm fine if I can break 20 minutes on like a real good day on a 5K. I'm like busting ass if the field's out there. I'm like, yeah, I'm happy with a 21 minute. 22 minute 5k, right? Like I, I know where I'll fall, but those little things, the running community, at least around Delaware eats up. They come out in costumes. Mm -hmm. They cheer on little kids. You see them competing against each other, talking smack, but like in a positive way, like, yeah, man, I'm coming to get you on this straightaway. You better keep it going fast. And it's such a wonderful thing. My daughter comments in all the time, how runners are so, you could have someone run like a 50 minute 5k and everyone at the end is like cheering for them because they appreciate oh, yeah. the work, the dedication that they've done and the progress they're making towards like a healthy lifestyle, man. It, it's a, the running community is an awesome community. So when I, when I'm done with the race, you know, I have a cool down of a couple of minutes or so. I will take him off my back and then I will go like hundred feet before the uh, finish line and I'll hold him out and be like, give him a high five and dash to the end. No doubt. Yeah. That's your kick. Dude, that's yeah, like, cool... that's your power up right there. Oh, right. that's even better. That's your power. up. What got you started on that? What um, spurred the idea? Uh, so it was, I saw a meme once on um, an Air Force uh, meme page and stuff. And it was, it was like uh, people doing their PT test. And I guess like some, someone uh, was there at the track dressed as the little cloud guy from uh, 
from um, Mario Kart, and it's like final lap. And, oh. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know what? That right there is a great idea. I want to do one on my own take, and since Sonic is my guy, I want to I want to do that. So, dude, that. Uh, no, I just uh, I, so, so, I think yeah. that's awesome because if, if you haven't run those distances, it's very easy to hit a wall. And that's one of the cool things about running is you really do get lost in your head. And if you run either fast enough or long enough, you can always hit a wall that you're either going to push through or that's going to mm-hmm. slow you down. Right? Like yeah. you you can and, run one lap around a track, but if you sprint your hardest, you're going to hit a spot where you can no longer sprint. And it's like, well, can I keep that pace up or can I keep continue with that distance? And it, it's awesome. It really does like the resolve that it builds in you. I'm really, I, I'm just real in favor of. I, so it also kind of is like a, a, a tale of progression in my life. Uh, when I was 17 in the summer of 2009, I was, you know, trying to test myself. Can I even go into the military? And I was woefully unprepared back then. Um, which is why I didn't join for a few years, but, um, I got winded, extremely tired after going half a lap around the track. How big so were you? An eighth, an eighth of a mile. Um, I mean, I, I was my height, six, two, but I was 144 pounds. Um, dude, you were that skinny I, and winded. Like yeah, I was picturing yeah. you were like 250 pounds or something. No, like, no, I've, I've never been, I've never been that. No. Um, I just was not athletic back then. And so over, so, so between 2009 and 2019, I went from going an eighth of a mile to 26.2. What'd you run your marathon in? I'm a little embarrassed by it because, uh, so I had the Sonic with me, but I had a Camelback with me. Oh yeah. You know, I, I filled it with water. I, you know, and it's got a pocket. I'm carrying all my stuff. I'm doing pretty good on time. You know, I'm, I'm leading a lot of the way too. And then I just hear, I saw it, get over here. And I'm like, Oh, and so I'm like, I'm, I run to the side. Cause I'm like, you know, someone's probably gonna want a photo or something like that. And it's uh, Homeland security. And they are chastising me, telling me I can't have the camelback. And I'd like, well, I got approval. Before I was running, I, I asked them if it was okay, and they said yes. And they're like, "Well, you can't have that. And if you go across that bridge, you're going to be deemed a terrorist threat." Why? And help me understand. And, and what's, you, the, what's the beef? And, Why and, can't you have a Camelback? Because I was going over to Canada. I was running from United States to Canada. This is the Detroit International Marathon. And I, well, the funny thing is I was wearing my shirt that said, uh, been there, done that with a picture of Afghanistan. Uh-huh. And I've got my military ID on me. I am like trying to prove to them, Hey, I am legitimately a service member. And you're telling me that I'm a threat to this country. Is it cause you could have like just the liquid in it or you're not, a, you so, could conceal like, a bomb in theory. Well, that's, that's yeah, that's their concern is that the liquid in the camelback could be seen as some type of incendiary device. And I'm like, what freedom do we have left in this country? You can't even bring water across, Damn. you know. So, yeah, but I mean, I'm sure there's water stops and stuff, right? Don't you just like throw yeah. it down? You throw it at their feet. You hope it explodes yeah. like a water balloon. You run away with your sonic burst laughing at them and then you go grab a cup, right? So, 
So basically, uh, my arguments with them, and then I had to go back, put my Kimmel back down in a pile. And I wasn't the only person. There were dozens of people who did that, including a military officer, because they had a, a camo one. Um, so I had to do that. And then I was just so angry. Yeah. And this was on an incline, too, going up the bridge. So it cost me between, like, 45 minutes and probably an hour and 15 minutes on the marathon. Damn. That whole incident. Oh, I was I was so angry at that. Yeah. What? How far um, into the marathon were you? How many miles in? Well, this was this was only about two and a half miles in. This was about ten percent in. Oh, dude! Uh, so then you're sitting there with that thought yeah. in your head for the rest of the fucking like that. That's what gets you, man. It it ruined me. It it absolutely ruined. Me. I never got into the zone. I never. Yeah, you can't run. Free. I never. I never recovered. I and I honestly at that point I like. For a good chunk of the race, I just wanted it, and like yeah. I didn't. The joy, because it, it, whatever, whenever you hit that moment where your joy sapped, um, especially yeah. running that long, because you're running. I so I, I ran one during COVID just for context. If it makes you feel better, I don't know what your time is yet, but I um I hit a wall, twenty miles, twenty miles in. I was at a nine minute a mile pace. And Holy I, crap! That's amazing. Yeah, right. Like I, I was feeling myself. Here's my problem. I only had two 10 ounce water bottles with me and I just jogged by myself. I didn't like run a marathon marathon. I just ran out in the country. So finish my first water, go to my second and I'm running into communities. So I'm running along a highway, but then there are communities that I would go in to get the miles that are safer because there's not cars there. Yeah. The, The saline packs that come when you buy the water bottles with the belt, I didn't know they were in there. And I'd filled the water oh. bottle. So I drink, I'm like thirsty. I'm so thirsty, right? And I'm like, why am I so thirsty? 20 miles in, I uncork the bottle and I just want like a gulp of water. And I go to gulp it and the fucking saline pack, bloop, right in my mouth. Ooh. Now, I don't, I don't swallow it, right? Because I, I spit it up, I spit all the water, but then I'm in my head, dude, and I'm already hurting. It's in your, in your mouth, yeah. And, and I'm like, and my, I, I know your body starts to like actually like your kidneys shut down at a certain mileage point. Like like the marathon, that's why they have these hyperthermic blankets. You your body starts to conserve blood because it it's not meant to be this kind of strain for this long of a period. And I got six more miles to go, right? So about mm-hmm. an hour's worth of running. Yeah, like another ten k to go. Yeah, dude, I, I was fucked. I got another mile. Actually, I got two more miles, and then I had to start walking. And I had to walk a quarter mile, jog three quarters of a mile. And my pace was like fucking 14 minutes. I wound up finishing like 424. But That's I was, amazing. No, dude, I thought it was decent. You know, to fucking qualify, you got to be like 330 for like the New York Marathon, the Los Angeles Marathon, Boston oh, Marathon. Oh, really? Yeah, qualify for stuff like that? Oh, yeah, wow. dude. No, you got to go to a legit event and get a chip time. And you got to get under 330, which is like under a seven minute a mile pace. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It, it, dude, I, they, I, those people are nuts. So I was hoping I, for um, under four. That was my goal. And I, so, I failed. So I, you know, um, my time ended up being 6.45 because of that. But okay. um, I had done a half marathon before the year before. And with that, I got like 2.21. Oh, dude, that's right. And so... And so, like, my goal was, you know, get under five hours. Yeah. Because, you know, logically speaking, you just double it. It's, uh, 
it's a little less than five hours. Which is so hard if you're going to keep that pace, though. That like that's the thing, that, right? That pace, yeah. But I mean, as long as you train for it, yeah, you you could be able to do it. And I was kind of at that at the beginning. Like uh, as long as I you know I didn't slow down that much, if I like gained another minute on my per mile, like I, I would be able to meet that you know whole thing at least get to five and a half, which is like my my late like late late point i guess yeah do you start like resetting goals so like you're you're on like mile 21 you're like you know what i'm pretty good with 530 then mile 23 you're like you know oh. what 550 would be great <laughs> i kind of i kind of do that throughout the day on everything like whether or not uh, i accomplish something it's you know it, it's a kind of like procrastination but you know if i can just do something then i will yeah, be happy yeah. yeah you know um Anyway, though, uh, back to uh, originally what I wanted to talk about with uh, education. So, um, so, so I was a terrible student in high school. Um, I grew up in elementary and middle school, kind of being like the know-it-all student. Um, but I would get bullied a lot for it. And like I said before, physically, I was not athletic. I was pretty weak. Um, Dude, I was. One- I was, I was no, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to emphasize, like one, if you were about that tall, six foot something at 140, like that's that's yes. some rail thin shit. Six two. Well, well, well. Here's the thing, though. The, it was the height that saved me. Um, but I didn't grow tall until like my last year and a half of high school. Um, for most of my life, I was shorter than everyone else. Uh, uh, entering okay. high school, I was about five six. Oh wow! And um. And by that point in time, everyone had gone through puberty at that, and I was just kind of beginning. And it wasn't until probably the beginning of senior year that I was finished growing. And by then, I was one of the tallest in the class. Right. Um, my class was 450 people. Um, I went to a big high school. Gotcha. Uh, but anyway, anyway though. Um, Sorry, man. I keep distracting you. I know you got a plan to talk, and I just keep throwing shit at you, man. I'm sorry. But, but you know, dealing with bullying, dealing with you know stress, dealing with being a teenager, being you know, uh, changes physically, mentally, emotionally. You know, like I had a little bit of a breakdown, and and I never recovered um, in the form of academics so i just kind of coincided with my life that i was i i barely passed with a 2.0 gpa and and i'm not afraid to admit that you know i i was not a good student in high school and i kind of just was like getting through my life just past high school yeah and you'll figure out things in life and by that notion i almost think it kind of saved my life a little because if I went down the path that everyone else was kind of told to go down, you know, you go to the university, you get your bachelor's degree, then you just get a job and stuff. And I, I kind of feel like if I, I wouldn't be the kind of person that I am today. And because you wouldn't get to explore yourself, man. You wouldn't get to explore no, your interests. It, yeah. You wouldn't get to spend a week or a month doing this job and be like, fuck it, it's not good enough, or studying this oh, yeah. thing and being like, oh, that's boring. And and that's whole the whole thing. It's like, you know, what I have a lot of friends and, and I love them dearly, but it's like, you know, I, I ask them, you know, with, with their education. It's like they literally will just have a bachelor's degree and a few small jobs that got them to 
getting the job they have now, which is good for them. But that's that's about it. Yeah. Meanwhile, I get to say, I get to say, I've been to the world's tallest building. I've eaten at the most expensive hotel in the world. I've ridden a camel in the desert. I have had mortar shells blow up over my head. I have treated a gunshot wound. I I can now perform medical treatments on people. I can uh, operate a crane. I can jump into a burning building. Like I, I feel like I can literally do anything and everything. Yeah, because you don't have your path or your future decided or even the pressure that comes along with, man, I just invested four years. I just put in all this mm -hmm. money to learn how to be an accountant. Now, once you get to the corporation, it's all politics. How do I advance myself? What's the better office? What's the better job? And it's a weird it, – it, it reminds me of like Joe versus the volcano. Do you remember that movie or is that too old no. for you? I have never heard that. I'm sorry. Stop, dude. So Tom Hanks, Joe versus the volcano. You, I will have to look at Dude, you're going to fucking love it. Meg Ryan. So basically <laughs> Joe has a corporate job in the basement and he's just sick. He feels like shit his whole life because his life has no meaning. There is no thrill. His biggest concern is like a fucking um, flicking – um, fluorescent, Light. like those tube lights, right? Like it just annoys mm -hmm. him. That's yeah. the vein of his existence. So I, I forget the exact plot, but basically this island needs a human sacrifice for the volcano not to explode. Okay. So somehow mm -hmm. someone who owns the island knows Joe's doctor and the doctor is like, well, I'll tell Joe he has three weeks to live. You'll give him the best three weeks of his life and then he'll throw himself into the volcano Everybody's a win-win. This guy's depressed anyway. Well, of course, Joe now realizes life is like this cool adventure. You're meant to do shit. You're meant to challenge yourself. You're not meant to just be cookie cutter factory in life. And, you know, he winds yep. up trying to fight this. And now I don't want to kill myself. And then Meg Ryan gets involved because she was kind of there to like seduce him and make him feel good enough to kill himself. But at the same time, now like has a change of conscience. It's a class. I haven't watched it in a while um, years, but it's a classic movie of like that. Um, you see all the workers going almost like coal mine, but they're white collar going into this building. And it's just this terrible color, terrible music. I forget the music, but dude, the intro, you watch it and you're, you're going to say to yourself, I'm so glad I avoided that by not falling into the trap of needing a four year degree and being hostage to, well, you're a professional, marketer right or you're a psychiatrist now now you have to open up a practice and you're like fuck man i'm not really that happy with it you know oh, yeah and and the really cool part is that um when i when i i actually did go this path a little bit um 2019 i finally got into a university and i tried it out i tried it out for two semesters and i realized i really really do not like this and I was going for mechanical engineering because I thought this would be a good degree to have. I'd, I'd have a good grasp on engineering and stuff like that. And more and more, I kind of looked into it and the classes I was required to take. That's the other thing I really didn't like is the required classes. Like you had to go through all these like in order in yeah. each semester. It's built for people who go directly from high school to there, not these people who go in 10 years later. 
uh, there's a, this, I'm sure you've seen it before, the common joke about the GI Bill where it's like you're, you're Billy Madison in the third grade classroom. Dude, yeah, well, because I was in National Guard. I was like two that. years older. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And no, it, it's true. You're like, dude, I'm fucking grown. I, you don't have to teach me how to organize my time. Well, and that, and that's the funny thing. Like I was, I was 27 with like 18 and 19 year olds. Yeah. And I wasn't just 27. I was a 27 year old firefighter who had been to war. Like I, yeah. I, I had already lived the life and here I am. I'm not stressed by a midterm. <laughs> well, well, actually I kind of was, it was, really? it was a funny thing. Like it was, it was the the way they were demanding so much from this form of education. It, it it was weird. Going through the fire academy was almost like a cakewalk for me. Because uh, it it just kind of felt natural. It was it was kind of like that notion of everything you were learning had a purpose, uh... and you weren't just learn you weren't just learning it for the test. You were learning it for a skill. There it is, and that to bring it all the way back to why schools suck. <laughs> like that's why schools suck because if kids could learn writing to, if they had their own business, if they got seed money where they actually had to cold email people to get advertisers. And then somehow that actually helped their own business or their product, or they got investors through a GoFundMe or whatever. Like that would be some genuine buy-in and be some genuine purpose. Firefighter school, I would imagine it, it's purposeful because it fucking saves your life. Like it, it's life oh, yeah. or death. Like you're going to see this. You need to react this way where it's like, well, in this particular situation in a classroom, it, that, that kids get over that. People get over that. So, so funny enough, at the school I went to, the community college I went to, um, I didn't do it all in an order because I didn't, as I was saying, I was experimenting with many different things, but I did my fire academy back in the fall of 2018, and I just this past semester finished my EMT, and they're both at the same building. Um, if I had, if I were literally like right out of high school, say like 18 or something like that, do the fire academy, then do EMT, within two semesters, so within one uh, calendar school year, yeah, you can have two certifications that can get you an awesome job being a firefighter and then of course you know you can get paramedic later on or something like that but yeah like essentially all it takes is two certifications which you can get in two semesters versus a four-year degree which more and more people are now taking up the six years to get and of that time frame only about 59 percent of people graduate with that four-year degree within six years it's my conspiracy, man. So I took out a student loan and I had no idea that Congress set the interest rate on student loans, which mm -hmm. is bullshit. Everyone gets the same rate, regardless of credit score, regardless of income, regardless of age, regardless of assets. You get the rate that Congress dictates. Now, why would Congress want to indebt people who are going to earn more money to pay more taxes? Makes no sense. If anything, they should encourage it because the more productive people are, the better the society. You would breed. You like like it. You would have more tax to then take in a very simple way if you're a government. And I really feel they have this false. It. it I don't want to say enslaving because I feel that's insensitive to slavery, but it, it's it's a cap. 
it's this fakeness that people that the government is putting on the importance of education where it's unproductive. You're not producing, you're just consuming yeah. and you can't consume your whole life. It's like fucking binge watching. And yeah. I don't, I don't and know. I, I don't know why. I guess they just want you to sit around, but I can't get to the, why do they want you with this debt? Because then you have to vote for them to give you more things. Cause you can't earn it and make it on your own. Are you familiar with the something cost fallacy? Sunken calls. Fa oh my God. Oh my God. This might be the first thing you bring up that I actually know. I don't know if so, I can explain so where, it. Where you, where you, where you uh, it, it's like when you're gambling, you know, you, you, you lost a thousand dollars gambling, but you know, you got to win it back. And so now you put in another 500 and now you're another 500 in the hole. But then yeah. Now that you're 1500 in the hole, you got to put in more money, you know, all that. Money so back, you're always right? trying to break even instead of so, just being like, cut your losses. Yeah. So a lot of people are not, able to get that in their mind to cut their losses when the timing is right so you know they get the bachelor's degree it's not enough so now they get the master's degree and now they have to get the doctorate or the professional degree and in that whole process they don't have to pay back their student loans yet because they're still a student defer us you know that yeah they can defer defer, defer but the defer. problem is is that they're adding more and more and Every more to that debt. fucking day and and the interest will only accumulate even worse. And so they're getting all these degrees, which in some fields might be good, but ultimately it's not beneficial enough. Yeah. And it, at the end of the day, it, now, now multiply this by the tens of thousands across the country. And you start to see a lot of the big problem. I often ask my dad this, you know, like, uh, who like he you know he grew up in that small town that I told you my uh, great grandfather ran, and so I asked him who had a bachelor's degree in that town. He's like, oh, there was only a couple people. It was like the town doctor that right. had his doctorate, and there yeah. was like an attorney, and that was it. Oh, I think I think you said there was like a couple teachers, maybe. Yeah. Uh, other than that, though, that, that was it. They, they, you know, the the people who went off to the university were literally going to be that professional, bright class of people, and you know, like you expected a lot from them. But nowadays, I think it's more or less an expectation of just like a status quo sort of rite of passage. Yeah. Do you get? Is it embarrassing? So I, I started off at community college and it's funny, you say a 2.0. I looked at my transcript. I think I graduated high school with a one seven. Um, and I, and no, seriously, I like, I was at the yeah. bottom, I was at the bottom 25% of my high school class of 400 kids. I think I was ranked 310th out of 400. I, I, I was a similar format. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I started off with an associates. I went, I went national guard, got my associates. I'm all the way now, and I'm very similar to you, man. So teachers, you have to have different certifications. I'm certified to teach like eight different subjects. I actually have my doctorate, right? And then I have a doctorate, and I was told when I applied for my reading specialist job, you have to go back and take eight classes. And I'm like, a fucking kid, I have a ma I'm nationally certified. I have a master's of instruction. I went to a professional development school with two years of student teaching. I have an educational doctorate, and I need eight master classes to get this job that you guys say I'm going to be really good at. Sure. So I go to college and I, my grades are awesome, but the only reason I do all that is to get my return on investment. Now I say yeah. that to say this, I'm, 
I don't have any qualms about like my schools were shit. They, they weren't very rigorous. My bachelor's was actually pretty rigorous. The master's a little bit, not really. The doctorate and the reading certification, I went to an online school. Like I make fun of, I, I call myself a paper doctor. You know, like I'm, it's not anything I'm particularly proud of, but my social circle is small. And I'm wondering for you, like, did you feel, is it embarrassing to be like, I went to a community college? Is that like a social stigma where you're from or at, your circles? At the beginning, it was um, because most of my friends all went to University of Michigan or Michigan State University or Central or Eastern or uh, Western or Grand Valley, things like that. And here I am, you know, expecting that I'm going to leave the state one day and I'm stuck here at Macomb Community College. You know, this is the only community college around our area. Well, uh, I can't say our area, but it, it's it's the local college. And so it's it's almost treated like it's a giant high school still. Oh, 13th grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, the funny thing is that the community college is so big, it's actually one of the largest in the country. Like it's got... Uh, on paper, it's got like twenty seven thousand students, but I think like overall, like you include like everything that's connected to it, and it's like over fifty thousand that oh, take wow. go, that go through this community college system. Yeah, it's a huge system, but within the county, it's the only higher education school. The neighboring counties have, uh, like Wayne and Oakland, they also have universities within uh, them too. Okay. Well, aside from their community colleges, so. Um, yes, at first I felt embarrassed, but then, especially recently, the more I think about it, I'm like, dude, how cool it is it to have multiple degrees and certifications? Yeah. Cause you know, it's like, you're putting all your eggs in basket, one basket with, you know, your bachelor's and it's like so many other people have that, but then. And I hope I don't have to do this because I want to work for myself essentially as an inventor and a designer. But um, I do kind of have like that notion of how awesome would it be on my resume that I have an associate's degree in fire and emergency services and construction technology and eventually pre-engineering while at the same time I'm certified to operate a crane. I can conduct uh, fire and EMS. I know how to um, lay a road and maintain it. Yeah. So why like, is it just age where you have that? Fuck. It's not like imposter syndrome where you have that self doubt because you clearly you're a very smart guy, man. Like your fucking mind's going a mile a minute, and I'm like, you feel like you'd talk to a motherfucker with a bachelor's and be like, yeah, I could have. I'd have had a 4.5, <laughs> you know, like I, so that, that's why I'm, I'm curious that you actually felt that way because I feel like, I don't know. It's hard for me to think of you in the short time I've known you doubting your intelligence, just the way you ramble on about like, I shouldn't say ramble rattle off these facts. Like that's not normal to me. <laughs> that's not in my circle. I think it's it's kind of a combination of things. Straight, ironically, uh, it is a very strong anti-authoritarian aspect of me, despite me being, and, and I kid you not, I'm treated in the military as a model airman. Like, I get nothing <laughs> but praise from the higher-ups. 
Um, in, in tech school, the parting words from two of the, of the training leaders were, we wish we had more people like you. Um, I bet. I got, um, a, a, not this past drill, but the drill before, we had to do this uh, stand-down training or some type of thing. Uh, it was talking about the uh, January 6th incident at the Capitol. Oh. And uh, the wing commander, the general, comes in. And I like Because uh, this was just our little squadron talking. And uh, this general comes in. And he's, you know, like trying to get people involved and stuff. He's just there for a couple minutes. And he's like, you know, can someone give me the definition of this? And like within a, a second, as I like, look around the room, nobody wants to talk. I just start talking. And I give him a definition. And his face just goes blank. And he's like, wow. Um, okay. Uh, Yes. That, yeah, dude, that, that's, that's what right. I'm saying, man. So you're like hanging out with these people with the well, bachelors from Michigan, and I'm I'm very well, surprised that you feel like you don't stack up. Like the fact that they got a sheet of paper actually means anything as far as oh, yeah. the intellect that it represents. Oh, and, and well, the funny thing was is that you know here, here this this one star general is in complete awe. With this. You know, mind you, you know he's seen this the staff sergeant who's a dirt boy, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in the military, you know, it's just seen as a bunch of dumb redneck guys, you know, <laughs> in the military. But if anyone who is a dirt boy is listening to this, know that um, pavements and equipment operators in the Air Force are some of the hardest working people in the entire U.S. military. Yeah. Um, You're the ones that get I, shit I, done. I, what, what, what was your job also? Oh, dude, I was, <laughs> so I was a 31 Romeo, which got reclassified after I got kicked out. I was a, I put up antennas. I was in the signal unit. So I'd go out, I'd have a trailer on the back of a Humvee. We put up an 80 foot antenna and relay signals. And you'd sit oh. by yourself on a three man crew um, for fucking weeks. It was national guard. Like if we ever got deployed, my goal would have been during um, Iraqi freedom to go out to the desert and hopefully maintain some sort of signal now like i don't know how that worked because whenever we couldn't line any shit up people even back then and i'm talking about like 2004 would just use their cell phones and call the other people to like get the line you know like to get that line of sight um but then i reclassified the commercial technology was better <laughs> yeah because you had satellite like it's like why are we putting up these 80 foot antennas that tell people where we are where they could fucking shoot us and like mortar us if they wanted to if we're real life how are we going to hide and conceal, but at the same time get line of sights with this? Like it never made yeah. any sense to me. And then, Oh, on top of it, we have satellite phones like Jurassic park already told us we have satellite phones. Why are we fucking around with these antennas, man? <laughs> I, I don't get this. Um, but anyway, so then I reclassified as a cook and I'd never been happier because everybody loved me. I had the ultimate power. I was always clean. I was always warm. I was always fed. And um, that was my job, but so I was a serviceman and, on it, and it, it's interesting you bring up officers because after I, I went there just for my bachelor's and I found out that my GI Bill, when I was reserve, my last two years of inactive duty when you could still get recalled, although no one ever does, I forget what it's what the term is. Yeah, my, uh, in, uh, inactive, um, inactive reserve. reserve. <clears throat> so my, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't so. have got my tuition paid for. So I had to re-enlist for a year to get my final year of tuition paid for. And I was like, you dirty fucks, you got me. So I served nine years. I'm like, I'm out, I'm done. And they're like, well, what do you mean you're done? And I go, well, I got my bachelor's. They were like, 
Oh, Grady, you're in college? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? I've been coming for five years. Like, I, I was like, is that insulting? Do I not appear to you as someone who is college educated? Or are y'all just that self-absorbed or that incompetent where you didn't realize? So now they're trying to get me to like, oh, you've got a bachelor's. You know you could be a second lieutenant if you wanted to. And I'm like, nah, man, y'all don't give a shit about me. Like, like, dude, you, you just, I'm some sort of quota filler for you. Um, yeah. It was that it was eye opening, man. How like I I saw the military have this asset, and they didn't even utilize it. But all that to oh, say, yeah. yeah, the the enlisted are the people, even though they get looked down on because they're not as educated. They're the motherfuckers who get things done. They're the ones who figure out mm-hmm. how to get the plans enacted when all of a sudden the plan doesn't work, and you got to deviate. And well, uh, definitely. Definitely the uh, best part, though, about the, the story with the general is the uh, my my squadron commander, he's a lieutenant colonel. He then immediately jumps in and is like, "I just want to say something about Sergeant Wharton. Uh, Sergeant Wharton is a very interesting guy. I've never seen a dirt boy read. It's <laughs> like a great joke, but but then, but then he's like, he, he does say something that's true, and he's like, he always has a book with him, and I'm like, yeah, I always carry a book with me in my pocket, and, and so. If there's a situation where the job can't get done and you know, we're just stuck around doing nothing, it's like I could just be on my phone. I could just be sticking you know, with my dick in the wind or I could be being yeah. productive. And so the, uh, he saw me on a, a Heptic Humanity trip in Puerto Rico. And when these dump trucks weren't being filled, I was off on the side just reading. And it's about any kind of book, you know, it's like any kind of topic. And yeah. so I learned you know of course you know my my forte is i want to learn more with engineering but i learned things about spirituality i learned things about history i learned things about economics uh about uh technology about uh like a very niche thing subject of mine is genetics um physical fitness um the whole biohacking thing i said earlier uh what else do we have uh, I, I, and then um, my other grouping is not is uh, a lot of fiction books, but it's mostly science fiction okay. or sort of that um, YA novels that are like based on like superheroes and stuff. I always thought that was a really good genre. Well, but, it's uh, almost it, dystopian. It, it give ideas. Hundred percent, because you put yourself in these oh, yeah. different environments, and you're like, what are basic rules, laws, tenets of society? How do people act? And it forces you to think. Yeah, it, it, it forces you to get into that mindset of it ultimately, and, and that's kind of what my whole philosophy is kind of based off of. Um, it, my, my whole philosophy is balance. And um, like for me, a political platform is kind of set out in the preamble of the Constitution. Mm. And so my five core tenets are peace, prosperity, liberty, independence, and justice. And all of them are held together with balance between all five of them. And that's kind of in the, in the basis of the uh, preamble of the Constitution. You know, we need people in order to form more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, that's peace, uh, promote the gen- oh, sorry, uh, pride for the common defense, which could be seen as uh, independence, uh, prov- uh, promote the general welfare, which would be prosperity, 
and uh, uh, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. And that's kind of all of those uh, into one. And I kind of feel that no real political figures nowadays actually espouse any of those attitudes. When you look at the way that they campaign, it's always an aggressive attack on someone. Rather than being assertive of their principles or or defending what they actually believe, they either get defensive about their character or just straight up attack their opponent. Yeah, well, that's got to be a some like poli sci major figured out that that's effective, right? Like, an, what is it like a negative? A negative review has six times the reach as a positive review is what I've heard speaking with like business people. So they're constantly in fear of the negative where they're not seeking so much, even though they want you to have a pleasant experience, not going out of their way to get positives promoted. Their whole job is to get negatives, to keep negatives away. So it, I feel like that's why it's not it, people going for election. It's not so much the service that they're after. It's the position. So then it's like yeah. an ends justify the means. What's the best way for me to get this position? Oh, somebody comes in, a consultant, and says, you know, if you go after this person and bring this thing up, we polled and 38% of people don't enjoy individuals who blank. And now, oh, well, we're going to hone in on that. We're going to make sure everyone knows that my opponent is a blank. And it's like buzzword, conservative. You know, he's conservative. Oh, tree hugger. Ah. And now all of a sudden these labels get these connotations and people vote with them instead of focusing on, hey, here's what I think the economy should look like. My ideal economy. Hey, I think this is what justice would be like. Here are the checks and balances I would like to. Like everyone's like, um, I'm sorry, that took more than 30 seconds. Done. Why don't you give me a label to throw on that person so that I know I shouldn't like them versus having five talking points about you. That makes me like you. It's like a time thing almost. And I will say we are at that crossroads right now, like I mentioned before, with the uh, the uh, Age of Darkness versus Age of Enlightenment. We will probably stick to an Age of Darkness for the foreseeable future if we commit to the mainstream media format of how everything is done, like on TV nowadays, or through sort of the gatekeeper notion, or... This is where I think that, that podcasting is the ultimate solution to all of this stuff, where you you get introduced to candidates via this podcasting format. And even something as short as like an hour, you can get the gist of, you could probably cover like 70 to 80% of what a candidate really believes in. If you had a good host, um, you could. As if they're, as long as they stick to, as long as, yeah, as long as they stick to a good format. But I mean, you know, you go the Rogan route with three hour long podcasts. Oh my God. You can, you can basically eliminate the vast majority of these pathetic interviews that they do. All these things. Cause in just one episode, you can figure out 95% of a candidate's platform. There's no way to go three levels. And again, and I'm, I'm, I strive for that Rogan lifestyle. I enjoy it. I'm, that's why I'm so appreciative of your time and the people who come on because it's like, to really mm-hmm. commit to put yourself out there for several hours, you can't hide. Like eventually what you are is going to be represented by you, right? I'm, 
you're going to be you after this long. And it's, it is, it's, it's a genuine way to present yourself where if people actually cared, they would know, they would know, they would know the kind of decision maker you are based on just you responding to the way I am, right? This far in, they're going to know how you act, how you play. Do you remain cool? Are you snarky? Do you get upset over my stupid compliments? Are you able to circle back to the point that was mentioned 45 minutes ago? Can you keep track of thoughts? Can you hone things together? Like those are super skills, man. I just literally thought about this as we're talking about it. Would you go go to a concert to see a band do one song or would you go to see them do 20? Right. That's That's a great analogy. And that's kind of what it's like, because uh, like literally, like length of time, it's basically four or five minutes a person's on TV for, if that. Dude, saying, say, talking about like an important issue, and it's like you can't. And, and people are always trying to over talk each other, and yeah, you know, debate wise, it's terrible. combat and everything. And so when you get into that kind of format, you're really at a. I will say, like, some people try and have, like, kind of a hybrid format. Like, uh, a good example of it is uh, Bill Maher's show. Um, and, yeah, regardless of how you feel about you know, his beliefs or um, things like that, you do get to see, like, he tries, and I will say he tries having this sort of debate format that goes longer than most mainstream people. Yeah. But it's still, it's still in this format of less than an hour where he's also got to do a monologue a closing statement an interview and so realistically you've got like 25 minutes and the actual like talking points are really kind of come down to like 15 and so ultimately you have like an environment like this though with the podcast there's no ordered structure so all of it 100 percent of it is basically Unless you need to introduce someone. Other than that, it, it's all real. Yeah. No, if you do it this way. So there are some where um, – so Freakonomics, do you ever listen to Freakonomics? Yes, I, I've listened to a couple. Okay. Yeah. Like super, super good, super informative. Like you would be one of those dudes. You would be a Freakonomics podcast, <laughs> right? But like even those are edited and produced and it seems yes. like they're narrative-seeking. Like they kind of have this plot that they want to go along and they're hoping to get these 30 second to a minute and a half clips of the experts speaking, clip it off, put it in. Now we go on and we either have some good music or I give my question, the host does, or I explain my point and then I circle back to what was said. But you never get to hear the actual conversation between the host and the guest that they had. And you don't know the context. You don't know if what was brought up first was actually said last. And it was said last because he was building his case the whole way to it. And that's what's terrible about like 60-minute interviews or GQ, Rolling Stone. Those places is there's perspective lenses and narratives that are almost contrived before the interview. You don't get to see where it's going to go. You go in with these purposes and intentions you go in with a mission it's like the military we have an objective to get this soundbite or to get this said or to get this point across and i don't know if that's the best way to get to know anybody or get to know a candidate it's not it's not 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, so, uh, uh, and that, and that's kind of that whole point of view. It's like, I, I look at the absolute crap show that was the uh, 2019 Democratic debates. It was just so they went, so they went from 20 candidates in the first two debates down to 10. Then they went up to 12. Then went back down to 10. Then nine. And like, like if you were going to do it that way, then at least do it like Survivor style and yeah. do it like, okay, we got 20 candidates, we're going to, or, or like American Idol style. It's yeah. like, we're going down to 16, then we're going to go down to 14, then we're going down to 12. And then it's like, once you got eliminated, your campaign's basically done. And it's like, if you did it that way, then it would make at least a little more sense. And you know what they should have done? They, can, no, dude, just to pause you so that you can bring this up when yeah. you're on debates. Why are there not like live voting? Like people are just chiming yeah. in with like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, sorry, you weren't the top fifteen most interesting based on our audience. See ya. Well, and like they have they have Google trends, right? And during the debate, during the debates, the Detroit debates were the last one where there were all twenty candidates, and in so it was over two nights, and in those nights. The most Googled candidates were Marianne Williamson in 49 states in the mm. first night, and the second night was Tulsi Gabbard with mm. all 50 states, meaning she – and she had, like, the line of the night that night. And, like, she was the the breakout star of that and doesn't get invited to the next debate. And it, it really goes to show – like, that was kind of the death knell of her campaign. And it really makes you wonder why this is a practice other than this is just the party elites coinciding with the media. Yeah, in order to spin a narrative, man. For sure. Yeah. And, sure. and you know, it's, like, it, it's funny because they, they were trying to peddle certain candidates that had no chance and were just sort of wasting everyone's time. But the candidates that were interesting, at least, or had something to say, didn't get a chance to say more. Yeah, because it, it's so condensed. And what I – I feel it's insulting. And I feel like people – not that they're stupid for watching the news, but I feel like the news feels that viewers are stupid because they have to explain what people have just seen. So you show me a 30-second clip and then you take five to eight minutes to explain to me what that 30-second clip means. Maybe you could just show me the whole five-minute clip. And then I can kind of figure it out on my own, which again goes to your podcast theme of like, I like people can, if you run for governor 2026, it'd be fucking awesome if this thing gets played and people actually get to know you through a three plus hour conversation. And they're like, this dude is blank. It's not me. I guess I have shaded you as intelligent and your mind working fast, but I don't feel like that's like a, not like a narrative that I came in being like, let me blow this dude up about how awesome he is as a thinker, <laughs> right? Like well, it wasn't like, a, like, a point. It was like, just something that comes out naturally. A great example of that is uh, the horrendous episode of Rogan where he had on uh, Candace Owens. And she's basically uh, talking to um, uh, her coworker, or whatever you want to call it, uh, Charlie Kirk was going to be president. And one day she's like, "I'll say, oh, he's the smartest person I know, and stuff like that." It's like you're 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 praising someone that the audience doesn't know under the skies of everyone needs to you know treat him as some type of super genius when the reality is he's a knave and 
a trashy person. Um, but aside from that notion, it, it really comes down to, yeah, like your, your, this, this conversation is supposed to be how, if, if, if people listen to it, I'm supposed to promote myself in that regard and not have people automatically prop me up. And that, that's kind of the problem that we have of today is like we we glorify mediocrity because people automatically assume something and everyone jumps to it and praises it. If, if X is told that they are smart, everyone says that they are smart, unless there's opposition to it, in which case they're absolutely idiotic. And X and would be like, like the bachelor's least. degree, right? So like got to get the bachelor's because bachelor means smart. Got to got to have the white picket fence, got to have the 3.2 kids, got to have the dog. And like, it's all these checklists of this is how I'll be accepted as having status versus, well, what is like, what is your actual output? And, and you know, what? going back to what we did in the last uh, time we talked with Fauci, he oh, was yeah. seen as the smartest person in the country. And it's like, okay, but the problem is, is that he's an epidemiologist. And he is now making decisions that affect the economy. Yeah. Like, does he know anything about economics? Does he know anything about emergency preparedness? Does he know anything about resource allocation? Does he know anything about personal protective equipment design and implementation? Yes, he's an epidemiologist. It does not mean he does he knows how to wear the equipment and how he, how to actually how it actually functions or the design and manufacture of it. He didn't know. I, I'm assuming he probably doesn't know the expertise going into how to design a vaccine itself in like a mass manufacturing production so he would need to have like factory experience in that sort of format so there's so many little things now mind you when we go back in time we can actually find people who actually do kind of fit that narrative because it's like i said before you have people like thomas jefferson it's like someone who has read thousands of books who was an inventor a farmer a scientist a uh an academic because he set up a university perspectives, man, and, perspectives and, and understanding who, of the people in all these various circles that actually make a society and country whole. Oh yeah. And, and even he, even he with his infinite intelligence had to defer to people. Even he didn't like, cause he had to defer the economic situation to Hamilton. It's like you. Yeah. But dude, that, that's how you realize, right? Like, so I yeah. coach basketball and I'm very quick to understand. Like I know shit about post moves I got to go find a guy that can show kids five different post moves. Now I'm good with dribbling, right? So I can show a kid how to put their body and I have like five, six different things to do in a pick and roll. That's my strength. So I've studied basketball and because I've studied it and now applied it, I know my relative strengths and weaknesses. So if basketball gets brought up, I know my deficits and I know how to recognize, ooh, he's real. I can watch, I can listen to you talk for five or 10 minutes about post moves, or you could show me one practice plan and I'll be like, yep, you got it. Or nah, man, there's someone else out there. There's more to it. And, and how many times have you caught people like in a line? You're like, oh my God, you're just BSRs. No, yeah, exactly. 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 But you, you apply that to government and all these, like what you just said about economics. I, I, I day trade. I swing trade. Actually, I guess it's not day trade. Cause I don't try to make a set amount of money per day, but I'm very limited in that. However, me going into it, when I speak to other people, if they're not at my level and I recognize my limits, I'm not going to fucking put you in charge of like, you're not going to be my Bitcoin czar. 
if you don't if you can't explain to me why this is a good dividend stock and how you determine if a stock is worth investing as a dividend long term like, like so stuff like that by not doing yourself you really lower or limit your ability to filter out people and pick people for positions of influence in a, in a uh-huh. government because you got to have a cabinet man there's no way a leader yeah. should be expected to be an expert in everything except for people oh, yeah. you should be expected to be an expert in you can put people in positions to succeed i think that's a good point yeah and and as for me i know i'm not going to be an expert in everything and i i do have like my selected specialities i would like to focus on but i do kind of feel like i need to sort of dip my toes in other things, especially if I am going to go into political leadership, I think it's very valuable to have a basic and, dare I say, more than average uh, understanding of certain components. Yeah. And I can say, at least now, I at least fit that field in engineering, in fire response and like public safety, public service, in medical treatment, in... Um, Military in, service, in edu- educa- military service, educational attainment, construction, building maintenance, and literature, design, reading, like, like yeah. a bunch of shit, yeah. man. You're and, into it. Yeah, but I, I will also say I have many faults too. Like I do not pay attention to most sports. I, um, I literally only live for the Olympics, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, I, I really don't care that much for unless the home team is playing. I don't really watch any any football like i will not watch the super bowl or any or the playoffs yeah i'm fine i'm fine with politicians if they don't want to be like if my politician doesn't know about sports i'm like you know what that's cool because i really care more about you understanding infrastructure and Mm -hmm. making sure zoning works or how to bring some jobs or how to make sure that we can make our own masks and not be dependent on china for vaccines or supplies or chemicals for a vaccine that we're worried about with them Dude, so I see, according to CNN, Whitmer, Michigan governor, 2.26 million votes. Yep. So it looked like there was about 4 million votes out there. And it looks like the majority of Michigan is red, except for Marquette, the Detroit area. Fourteen counties, yeah. Okay, Jesus. See, the fact that you know that makes me go back to those contacts. So 80, 80, 83 counties in Michigan, yeah. Um, uh, there's a few bonuses for me in particular. I would be uh, so no of the people who have been governor of Michigan, no one has ever been from Macomb County, despite it being the third most populous county and a very prominent county. And it, it's actually the Bellwether County. It, it is the county that decides presidential elections essentially like it, it, it was the county that decided the 2016 election really? like out of 36 uh, 3600 counties in america it was one of three counties that decided the whole turnout help me where in michigan is macomb county so like, macomb, North- actually perfect uh oh, hold on a second. uh there we go do it on the opposite side so it's right here i'm actually right near the water okay. so uh like here's detroit and then here's Macomb County. Macomb County is just north of Detroit. It's a suburb county. Just north of... Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, I'm, and I'm just looking at the CNN map. So Whitmer won that with 
thousand votes. Shooty, mm-hmm. if I'm saying that right. Shooty, yeah, Bill Shooty, yeah. One hundred and sixty-nine. So I mean, fifty percent to fifty percent to basically forty-seven percent. So you're looking at a three percent yeah. swing. I was in the uh, in that um, like three percent that didn't vote for either of them. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, it really uh, yeah. is amazing looking at Michigan. Like you've got two pockets that that Marquette pocket was substantial. I guess that's because it is it because that's a college town that tends to go more liberal or am I stereotyping? Yeah. So, uh, well, that's that's like the only like sizable town in the UP. Um, uh, okay. It is. Uh, yeah, it's got like 35,000 people up there. Uh, but aside from there, yeah, it's basically all like extremely rural up there. Gotcha. There's only a few other towns that have a few thousand people, and everything else is just See, I'm looking empty. Two million. So Detroit itself has six hundred thousand. So if we need four million, Detroit is ten. That's fifteen percent of what you need is in Detroit itself, and then Washingtonie, yep. Oakland has another almost Washita. six right there. Wow, so that's yeah, one so. million right there of the four. That's a quarter of your pot. So basically, if you can grab that Detroit area, but how does someone like you and I? I don't know if your name has any kind of cachet, but like, how does Detroit? How do you get a million votes in Detroit? The, the Detroit uh, area. I have a secret. I would like to say that, but I don't know if I should say it on the podcast. So. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's listening. Um, almost four hours in, uh, but. Feel free to tell as little or hints about as much as you want. Uh, aside from like aside project I want to work on is I want to commit three hours uh, uh, every night, um, probably between like ten thirty and one thirty a.m. Uh, to going around the streets of Detroit, dressed up as uh, a like fully armored up superhero. And essentially just patrol the streets, clean up everything, uh, see if I can fix things, and if, if need be, stop crying. You know, that really didn't work out very well in the Batman movie I watched with Joker. Heath Ledger, I think uh, tore, Heath Ledger is going to tear you the fuck up. I think the sir. <laughs> No, I will. Uh, I will have a code of arms. Essentially, um, I will know enough of the law to prevent myself from getting into any uh, criminal activities. I am not there to beat up criminals. I am there to just simply maintain peace and try to give the city a symbol to follow behind. That's wow. And then the thing is, it's a way to test some of the stuff I make too, the, oh. the protective equipment and, and to, util- and to utilize the skill set I have at, throughout military fire and EMS. Jesus Christ. That is well-rounded. I didn't even, I, I'd forgotten all about the 3d printer aspect and the engineering aspect. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to go, you're trying to be basically a poor man's Bruce Wayne or Tony Stark. Yeah. Because you're going to fly? <laughs> no, I will not have flight yet. You know, maybe uh, as technology goes on, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah. It'll be um, magnets. You'll just have to throw magnets yeah, yeah, down. You that, won't be flying. That, that, you'll be that, levitating. That, 
I I do have a little book on magnetic levitation, so yeah, um, and I would love to learn stuff with that uh, as time goes on. But I mean, like I, I part of it's waiting on technology to get better in certain regards, things like battery technology, HUD glasses, um, uh, you know, how we deal with things like composites and stuff. But aside from that, yeah, I this is something I would love to do. Uh, perform basically a civil service to the people of Detroit and try and give them something to look forward to. But at the same time, if I get a little notoriety out of it, I, I would that wouldn't hurt me at all. And why do you think that's going to get you votes? And I know that's a stupid question. I don't mean it in an insulting way. <laughs> well, I'm just curious about no. your thought process behind like why go that way versus. I don't even know what else it would be like bringing back the auto industry from a Delawarean to be stereotypical. Like why be a crime fighter? Well, well, first and foremost, like it's about what a person can do in their own capacity. And I feel like it, like me dressed as a symbol while performing good deeds in the midnight hours in this crime infested city you know, this impoverished city, it's like me trying to do good, being fearless, walking, you know, what people say are the most dangerous streets in the country, mm. and getting to realize what the big problems are within the, the, the uh, not only the city, but the state itself, and seeing how, if I had the ability to being the executive of the government, if I can then utilize the resources and influence at that point in view to fix these issues see that goes back to our do you have the field experience mm-hmm. right to understand then, so if a police chief came to you or some sort of government worker and said i need blank if you've never been in that situation it's hard for you to understand what actually is needed what would be effective mm-hmm. and if that person is even viewing situations correctly and then and then the bigger aspect is if, if i were to win I would still find a way to do that job too. There's no way. And Dude, you can't be the governor rolling around in a superhero suit that you're like, I want to see if this stops tasers or bullets. What? I've got a new PPE model that I just printed up. Hold my calls. I want you to make my meetings for 10 o'clock. It's going to be a late night. No, that doesn't work. I mean, so... Um... <laughs> So, so uh, George Washington like would straight up rode in to command the military when he was uh, president um, to squash the uh, the whiskey rebellion. Yeah, you know, like there uh, and James Madison manned a cannon um, during the War of eighteen twelve. Like, there's nothing saying a politician did, can't stand up and did George Bush, who was a pilot, I believe, did he fly in any of the missions? After not 9/11? any of the missions, but the, he 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 did he did come in on an aircraft carrier and give the the horrendously bad mission accomplished uh, thing. Yeah, he mission came a, in a jet like that. Yeah, mission accomplished, right? No, but like like mm-hmm. there there's no there there's no modern contemporary or post would it be pre-modern like can can you name anybody from the 1900s that did that kind of shit <laughs> was, was teddy i was gonna say was teddy out there with like a jackhammer making the highways laying um, kind of well kind of somewhat was i mean like <laughs> he, he got shot giving a speech and he still gave the speech 
like he was a badass guy like i i'm not i'm not sitting there saying like i'm going to do everything when i'm in this position of power because no I, I will have the responsibilities of the governor i'm talking about like in my off hours i'm still going to do the duty that i picked up and if i'm not able to do it then i'm going to train other people to do it so what i just heard if i'm correct feel free to correct me Okay. Some poor intern is gonna be your <laughs> your three D printer guinea pig. Is gonna be sent to the slaughter. That's what I just got from that. Some poor schmuck from community college who wins a scholarship <laughs> because you're connected and you're like. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Can you? Do, so, do me so a, that was no I was just gonna say do me a favor and tap your phone I don't know if it's because of the zoom um if it doesn't get like interacted with but there's been a lag the last like 15 20 minutes has there been a Can little bit now? like right. yeah it's just it's just been a little choppy as far as video and audio um not not Strange. terrible not terrible but I noticed sometimes if I get into conversation I forget to like move my mouse the zoom will start to freeze up. I was just wondering. Oh, you're fine. Yeah. All right, man. Well, Mike, this is, um, I, I love it, dude. Uh, uh, clearly we could do a six hour podcast easy, but let's try to, <laughs> let's try yeah. to cap it at four and let's end the podcast with this. And I'll try not to interrupt you. I'll try okay. not to distract you. I'm going to let okay. you be an orator. Okay. Oh, I know you're excited. Can I get, your best first for last. We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. I'm sorry? Your best first for last. I have no idea what that means. Yes, you do. Everyone does. No, I actually do not. So when I when I spurred on people, um, most people, because um, I try to build it up to add this like intense pressure, um, it's my one segment. It's how I try to end the podcast with every guest. I feel like when you're getting to know someone, one of the coolest things about getting to know someone is knowing some of their first experiences. Oh. So it would be the last thing that people get to know about you if they listen to the whole pod. And best for last. So I tried to be clever, alliterative, wordsmith, whatever. Best first for last and the capitalist uh, in me uh, hopes that it's a segment that will eventually get a sponsor like the best first for last a, brought to you by blank that's a good idea yeah um dude i'm full of them put me on staff i'll move out there <laughs> and you can take your time man i a lot of times what i'll do is i kind of ramble to give people to th yeah. like thinking time i don't like to throw examples at people because i feel like it um shapes their mind like don't think pink elephant then they think pink elephant kind of a thing but i do try to fill the time with words and it, it's it i just really enjoy where people's minds go where they connect one of their cooler first experiences that they want to share I don't know if this really counts as anything like a first experience, but I will say one of the greatest experiences of my life was go with it. Um, 
I was in Hawaii two years ago on a uh, another mission, and as we were building this, um, it was a STEM camp for Girl Scouts. Um, I we we went out to one of the uh, to one of the, uh, to a place called North Shore on Oahu, and uh, the guys I was I was with, they all went to like the bar and stuff, and you know, they were all like happy to be there. Blah blah blah. blah. And I was the designated driver because I don't drink. So I walked over to this little beach inlet area. There's nobody else there. You know, lots of lights are turned off because you know, it's, it's twilight and now it's nighttime essentially. And I have my bathing suit with me. So I put that on and I just kind of want to relax in the water. So I go, and I'm like, I'm like, there's like a part of me that's like worried like some shark's gonna go into like two and a half feet of water (laughs) (laughs) completely irrational but always there (laughs) so so then i uh go into the water and as i'm walking i feel out in front of me and there's a turtle in front of me and so i pet that and it swims away quickly and so then i start laying down and i'm just gazing out into the more and more and more stars start appearing into the sky because there's no light pollution. You just see everything. And I'm floating there in the water and I see nothing but the cosmos. And all of a sudden I see a shooting star too. Mm. And it's at that point, I just kind of feel all in one in the world. And I, I, ultimately feel insignificant but also entirely connected to this vast universe and that while i may be an individual insignificant in it so long as i remain connected to this i can accomplish anything and do anything and ultimately all the experiences i've learned in my life is that nothing is truly out of my way of accomplishment so my mind went two places. One, no, 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 dude, and not like bad at all. One, I get jealous. Um, Trey, who I recorded with earlier, was a special operations sergeant um, in the army, was in Afghanistan, and um, spoke to me about the sky and described it like you yep. did. Above, like when you're in the mountains and there's no light, like just – your days shit. You're worried about dying. Can I trust people? Will I roll over a mine and IED is going to explode? And then you get these moments of solitude and connectiveness with nature because they're uninterrupted. And it's almost like the human being needs that to be reminded of you're a part of something. It's not about you. It's very humbling. It's a very humbling experience when the universe reminds you just how much is out there as above so below as (laughs) and two the second thing was was the bathing suit a speedo i picture you as a speedo man no 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 i I don't do that no (laughs) no dude no really the real second thing was like people have spoken to me about this if you don't take your shoes off and feel nature if you don't go for a walk in the woods and just start to listen to the sounds, if you can't mm-hmm. get away from light, you get lost, man. 
Like your, your, your body is not meant to feel that way. Um, that's an awesome first for you. Do you, do you think it was like the first time you kind of connected with nature? No, but it was the first time I had done so in a manner that was kind of like all encompassing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, this was before I had gone to the Serpent Mound for the first time. So I kind of like follow it up with that sort of format. Oh. And so I kind of, I kind of start feeling sort of that connectivity and yeah, it, it just kind of goes along with it. It explains the conservative nature as far as I want to conserve the environment, man. You, you, and yeah. you, you experience something like that and you recognize the power and how pure it is. And it's fucking free. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and every, every, almost every day I will be cleaning up trash. I, I take my dog for a walk and uh, I've got the poop bag with me. So I, I bring my, um, my heavy duty gloves and I literally just pick up the trash along with and throw it in the poop bag. So. Right. No, dude, that's, um, that's, so did you go back and like talk with the fellow servicemen or women? About oh, this experience, <laughs> did you get into your emotions and have like a little counseling session on the way back? They're no. all drunk and buzzed no. up, and you're like, they, "Fellas, they didn't care." <laughs> oh, oh, it's amazing! Like, funny thing on that trip, um, I had just finished the fire academy a few months prior, and I had two Air Force firefighters with me and someone else, and uh, and on the Kamehameha uh, Highway, which is one of like two lanes and stuff, and it goes around the whole island. Um, there was an accident we came up on and we were coming from the, uh, from the, uh, the military work site. And so we're all in uniform. And so I see this up here and I see no emergency vehicles. And I'm like, Hey guys, I think we got to respond to this. And they're like, no, no, someone else will take care of it. I'm like, no, no, no. Like three of us in this vehicle are firefighters and we're in military uniform. There's an accident there. I think it's our job to respond to this. So I pull off the side and we spring in action. We take care of everything before the emergency workers get there. No shit, man. And so, it was by my my direction. And uh, because of that, we got uh, commended for it a few days later. Yeah, right? Like, see, that's the little basic shit. Not that it's basic, but it is basic. It's just doing the right thing, right? Like, yeah. could you imagine seeing someone choking your CPR certified and being like, nah, the ambulance is on the way. Like, you wouldn't do it. You would just be like, no, I know how to help this person. There's no other thing around, even though it's late, even though I'm off duty, even though whatever. This is what we do. And it's that kind of stuff that just, it, it's commendable, even though you got commendations for it. It's like a that, level well, above yeah, com it, commendable. You don't do stuff with the expectation of getting rewarded. Hundred yeah. um, percent. The there's actually like a study regarding that where if uh, if a person is like hurting or is uh, or like a fight breaks out in the middle, not sort of a crowd, but like there's a, like a lot of people around. Most people don't act because they figure someone else will. Or yes. someone else is calling nine one one, or someone oh, dude, else is going to respond. Yeah, but if if it's like them alone, or there's only like a couple of people around, and it's like something bad happens, a good chunk of people actually spring into action and do the right thing yes. because they know no one else will. 
that's the first thing they teach you is during CPR. It's not someone call nine one one. It's the you in the black shirt call nine one one. You with the long hair and you point to them. You do the four fingers out and you make sure they know who you're. You give someone a job and then that person will fucking run a marathon to a payphone if they need to to get 911 done because people assume that personal responsibility when they can't put it off because I really do feel in essence humans don't want to see other humans suffer man I it's part oh, yeah. of part of what I love about our species is that I think that we actually do really care for the betterment of each other I mean uh, just, uh back in April when I was doing my clinicals for uh EMT class I was giving it my all uh, doing compressions on these COVID patients that were basically dying in my hands. And, but I was, I was like, I wanted to say, live, damn it, live. And, and I got one to start back up. Um, but he soon passed after that. And, uh, there was definitely a feeling though, like bringing back someone from the dead. Like it's insane really. But it it makes you wonder, like, I, I don't know, I've, I've seen other animals mourn, animals in their pack, tribe, whatever, being lost. Mm-hmm. I've not seen them trying to, like, bandage a wound, throw a tourniquet on, put their lips on another and blow into a nostril. Like, you, you don't see it. It's I, real I, I, I interesting. I having films helped. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but like, I I don't know what it is about the way we've evolved, but there is something particularly neat. It's really fucking cool that we care enough to set up and prioritize helping the weaker of us, our species in those moments survive. Because honestly, if you get real like capitalistic with it, if you get real animalistic with it, fucking die so that I get your resources. Less of you means more for me. And we're, we're pretty not like that. It's, it's awesome. I think it's, I think it's, it's that narrow path of balance that we need to find out where a society that prioritizes the strong over the weak essentially will try to outcast the weak or divert resources away from them. So like you said, they just die off and stuff. But then a society that prioritizes the weak over the at the expense of the strong, yeah, no incentive. Uh, will will yeah, there creates no incentive. That you you like I said, you glorify the mediocrity. You put weak people, and I don't mean like physically weak. I mean like just poor decision makers in charge of everything, and thus you end up. So so basically, what you should have you should have a society where the strong and the weak can come together. And if the strong are in charge, it is their duty to take care of the weak. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's, the, it's it's sort of that little whole chivalrous code. You know, you are, you are there to protect the weak. You're there Feudalistic. to do things for other people. And, and I say this as someone who came from being extremely weak to now being in a pretty strong position now. That it is my duty now to protect those people, and I will do so. Love it, fucking love it, Mike. I you. You're one of the, um, so you're one of the few that's definitely eclipsed the three hour. And I feel like even if we wouldn't have had, <laughs> no, dude. And I feel like even if we wouldn't have had my dumbass um, charger snafu, 
like we we just fucking keep going on with thoughts, stories, and like deep dives. I don't know if we got deep, but dives into topics and philosophies, man. Like you're you're so easy to talk to, man. You're so thoughtful on so much, and um, I'm so appreciative that you uh took the time two times to uh, let people get to know you, man. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I definitely will be listening to all the other episodes now. And yeah, give me some feedback, man. I got to get better at my interviewing <laughs> techniques. If uh, if I'm gonna trust anybody to get me better to coach me up, it's gonna be you because I could see your <laughs> analytical ass mind being like, you know, Sean, I've determined that 38% of the time you reply with a, and I'll be like, you know what, Mike, you're fucking right, man. I need to stop that shit. Um, Works 60% of the time, every time. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I'm pretty good with movie references too. So (laughs) TV references. That's awesome. All right, Mike. Thank you so much, man, for all your time. Thank you so much. And dude, Thank like, you. Um, I can't wait to like keep following you and either see some weird ass news clips of you <laughs> in Detroit in the coming years, or like having this shit work, man. Like it's a, it's kind of a, like a batshit, pardon the pun, like genius idea to to well, to be that and, simple. It really is. And man. That's the whole thing. Like while everyone else is trying to create that sort of perfect political persona, as you see, like every tries to craft this political image they're all trying to fight over this status quo standard bearer political notion like right now in the republicans you've got everyone fighting to be who's the next trump meanwhile the democrats you know they're trying to find you know who's in the dnc format but ultimately you're you know if you find the niche available you create your own persona and by doing so you you craft a, a person that people will want to vote for not just simply because they have to vote for it. They want to vote for this person. It goes to that name recognition versus um, – and I forget. I know it wasn't feudalism. I know it wasn't nepotism. But it, we, we had gotten into that, the whole are they competent because they're around it and they've learned about it? Mm-hmm. Or are they getting yeah. votes because it's their name where you're almost like usurping it and you're just going like it ain't about the name. It's really more about the service and – my experiences it's not so and much. ideas too yeah, yeah. oh yeah and, yeah yeah, and, yeah. and i don't but that that's it dude like it's the blend and i love how you put that it, if fauci and, if fauci would have had his feet on the ground he wouldn't be fauci he yeah. would be the other are, guy are you, whose name i still don't know donald henderson yeah <laughs> are you familiar are you familiar with vermin supreme say again are you familiar with vermin supreme vermin he's the guy who runs for he, he's the guy who runs for president who has the boot on his head no, I've you know, not like seen the guy who runs right. for president so, with the boot on his so, head. So yeah, uh, look, look him up. Essentially, he's like a joke candidate. He's a great guy, very awesome guy. But uh, yeah, he's been like running for president ever since the '90s, and he's like always just like this joke campaign and stuff. And so uh, his is like he wants mandatory ponies for everyone, and he's got like a zombie apocalypse plan and mandatory toothbrushing laws and stuff. And it's, it's like all a joke and stuff. But at the same time, he actually does have like serious ideas too the whole thing is the way i view it is i want to be a more serious version of him where i have a good persona but at the same time i'm actually a realistic political candidate gotcha because because he has this brilliant marketing 
situation with all this, you know. And you know, you learn from each of these different categories, and you craft something more instead of trying to recycle what barely works, which yeah. is what most politicians do. Hundred percent, and NBA coaches. Um, to be honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not a super sports guy, but like that shit gets talked about all the time. All right, man. If I don't cut it off, we're gonna go for another fucking hour and a half. Yeah, easy. I know. Um, my power is about to go off here too. Yeah. So. All right, Mike. Man, thank you so much again. Um, best of luck to you. I can't, I'm just going to enjoy, um, seeing you in the upcoming years, man. (laughs) Oh yeah. We'll keep in touch for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. I'll be commenting on your shit all the time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care, man. Have a good night. Thanks to Mike for coming on the getting to know you pod twice, actually. Uh, for sharing his brilliant knowledge and political aspirations. Mike, I fucking love your ambition and your outlook. It's amazing, my friend. I cannot wait to see how this shit happens. Um, please don't die in those streets, because I think you're serious about that idea. <laughs> Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search him up. It's Andre Psyche. Just kidding. Psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E, on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Thanks to Dewey Crush, the summer's most sought-out and coveted East Coast drink for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Listeners, bring a case of Dewey Crush, the delicious, refreshing, ready-to-drink canned cocktail with you to your next summer event. Why are you doing it? So you can fucking crush it, of course. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Also, go to our Patreon to support the pod for as little as $2 a month if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or if you want to support our hopes and dreams of having actual sound equipment. If you have not already, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Word of the pod is feudalism. Feudalism is the word of the pod. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it on yours to get a shout out on our very next podcast. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. I have served, and I will be of service.